Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 11, 1999. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I get you all good evening or good morning as the case may be and welcome to another edition of What's Weird. <laughs> from the uh, Hawaiian and Tahitian Islands in the West where it's still very much early evening out to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands where... It's very much morning, south into South America, north all the way to the pole, and worldwide on the Internet, covering all the time zones simultaneously. This is Coast to Coast AM, and I'm Art Bell. And the worldwide part is thanks to Broadcast.com, and now, of course, Intel, too, with the streaming video, which means if you lumber up to my website and download the G2 player, which, by the way, is free, F-R-E-E, free, and then come back to the website. You can actually not only see me, but hear me do the program as well. Now, there are some other goodies on my website this night. And the first is a picture of Richard Hoagland. A picture taken earlier today of Richard C., 19.5 degrees, Hoagland. He's in the hospital, as you well know. And he has a finger... Extended at about 19.5 degrees, all bandaged with little tubes and stuff. But if you want to see him, there he is. Uh, the luminous finger. <laughs> the luminous 19.5 degree finger. Anyway, if you want to see, and it kind of looks like old Navy PJs that Richard might have on, I don't know. I doubt they have a back to them. <laughs> So if you want to see Richard, who continues to recover and is in the hospital, of course, um, we've got a photo up tonight for you. And thank you all for the continuing well wishes toward Richard. And, um, of course, the successful continuation of experiment number seven. All right. We've got, uh, we've got kind of an interesting program coming up in the next hour. Peter Davenport from the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle with an incredible story and breaking news from near Chicago, we believe, a triangle sighting, a serious one in the Chicago area. On this, uh, the anniversary, actually of the week, of what occurred down in Phoenix two years ago, Phoenix sightings two years ago. He'll have also Robert Fairfax here, Director of Investigations for MUFON in Washington State, and together they went down and investigated, investigated a case that will just simply blow your socks off. All right. He, this is kind of an extension of last night's program. You remember some of the eerie calls we were getting from women whose children without flinching a little batted eye, refer to earlier lifetimes. couple of follow-ups. Art, I listen to your broadcast every night on WTAM in uh, uh, Cleveland, so I don't know how timely this will be. It's timeless, actually. I heard some of the stories you were telling about the little girl who asked about reincarnation. Well, listen to this. My wife and I attended her grandmother's funeral in New York City a couple of years ago. My wife was her grandmother's favorite grandchild, 
after a very long church service, we were standing outside the church when an old family friend, a woman, approached us and in a very heavy Polish accent simply said, I'm very happy you could drive up from New Jersey and make the service. And you both look wonderful all dressed up. With this, she kissed me on the cheek and said, You take care of my Janet. The only problem with this story is that the woman who said this, uh, this to us does not and never did speak with any kind of accent. My wife and I walked back to the car, not saying anything to each other. When we got into the car, we both said the same thing. Did you hear what I just heard? We totally agreed that her grandmother had come out to give us a, in quotes, private goodbye. And then this. Art, last night, the topic of children, you know, I guess we're going to have to do some kind of show on this. I'm going to have to get somebody on the air, I don't know who, who has researched this child thing. It's really interesting. Anyway, here's Shannon, who writes that the phenomena talked about last night has occurred to me at least twice in my own family. The most striking incident occurred with my nephew. He was about three or four years old. He told my sister how he missed his other mommy. When she asked what he meant, he went on to tell her that he was once a little girl named Jennifer who had drowned near her home. Holy moly. He recalled how Jennifer's parents were in tears as her brother dragged her body out of the large pond. Obviously, my sister was really taken aback at this and didn't know what to say. He's now 11 years old, doesn't recall saying any of this. The other incident of note involved me when I was about two, not long after I began to learn how to speak. I was in the kitchen with my parents playing when I suddenly began moving the spices from the cabinets. Not only did I correctly name the spices I took from the cabinets, but I also told them how they were commonly used. Then I suddenly went back to playing as if nothing had occurred. Now at 28, my knowledge of spices barely includes salt, pepper, and cinnamon. The skeptic's argument is that uh, children may unconsciously learn subjects from, say, a TV conversation or an idle conversation and suddenly repeat that knowledge, giving the illusion of remembering a past life or past memories, other skeptics argue. Parents and researchers ask leading questions that might trigger a particular response, thus fulfilling expectations. Well, I don't know about that. And then I've got this, and I'm going, to, I'm going to read it to you, and the person who sent it, I'm going to try to not read the parts that will identify you. He writes, Hi, Art, I'm not normally one to bother you, because I know you're very busy. I have been guilty of sending you a few blonde jokes, <laughs> and I have sent some MIDI files to Keith to put on your site. I'm not making any of what I'm about to tell you up. It is true. If you want to check my credentials, I am a ham operator. He gives his call. I'm an auxiliary police officer for the city of blank. I don't want to identify him yet. I was a DJ, and he gives the radio station. 
So he says, please keep this quiet. I don't want any attention whatsoever. I just want to find out what it is. While eating dinner, maybe some of you can help me with this. While eating dinner with my dad at a local restaurant, he told me something rather interesting. It has to do with a piece of metal and what appears to be some strange properties. I guess I should tell you that my dad has been in the silver, gold, diamond, coin, and gun business for several years. And we have all the equipment to make jewelry. I love to melt gold, then cast it into rings or pendants and so forth. Okay, I guess if you're in the the gold diamond business, it would be good to be in the gun business too, huh? Anyway, he goes on. Yesterday, a customer brought in a smooth, round, brownish, black-looking rock. At first, anyway, it looked like a rock. He told my dad he thought it was silver. Dad told him that silver was not dark brown or black. And the customer said, well, if you scratch it, it'll turn silver color. So, Dad scratched it, which he said was not particularly easy to do. It did have a silver look to it. So he got the acid to test and see if it was silver. If it wasn't, it would start bubbling. Well, the acid had no effect whatsoever. So Dad tried the 10-carat gold acid, no effect, 14-carat, no effect, and so forth. In fact, nothing touched it, which is strange enough, but something else happened that really got me. You know when you put a scratch on a piece of metal, it stays there, right? Not this metal. You scratch it, it turns silver color, and then the scratch disappears and turns back to the original color with no sign of the scratch. That's about when my jaw hit the floor, and I jokingly asked Dad if he'd been listening to Art Bell. <laughs> anyway, have you ever run across anything like this before? Is there a place we could send it to to have it analyzed, if the customer would allow it? I'm not sure he will. I'm going to try to take a look at it tomorrow, take some digital pictures of it. I guess it probably would be best to send the pictures to Keith. Yes, indeed. You can send them to Keith at artbell.com. That's Keith at artbell.com. Uh, so, that sounds pretty interesting. What could that be? What could that be? What rock or metal would you scratch that would reveal a silver color and then heal itself? You know, in, in other words, the scratch is gone, the color is back to the original color. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I sure don't. I sure don't. Uh, there's concern on Capitol Hill about frivolous lawsuits that may grow out of the whole Y2K debacle. For that reason... Two senators, Orrin Hatch of Utah, Democrat Diane, uh, Diane Feinstein of California, are sponsoring the year 2000 Fairness and Responsibility Act. Hmm. Feinstein's an anti-gunner, isn't she? So, anyway, this bill would, among other things, limit the liability of defendants and encourage computer companies to spend money fixing the problem rather than fighting lawsuits. Hatch says he's heard some lawyers refer to the likelihood of Y2 class action suits as the biggest bonanza since asbestos, tobacco, and breast implants. <laughs> Do you suppose a lawyer 
sits around at night dreaming about things like this? Breast implants. Oh, that was a big one. No pun intended. Tobacco? That goes on and on and on for attorneys. Asbestos? <laughs> Since I was small, they've been going on that one. And now Y2K, right up there with big breasts. Hey, listen, um, tomorrow uh, is going to be a particularly interesting dreamland. And we are going to be taping, if you have uh, a computer, if, if you're on broadcast.com, then you're going to want to be sure to tune in for tomorrow's dreamland. We actually air it between 1 in the afternoon and 4 in the afternoon. And you're welcome to be here, and you're welcome to not only listen to it live, but participate as well. Dr. Charles Emmons who has written At the Threshold, UFO Science in the New Age, a particularly interesting perspective I think you'll find. And that's at 1 o'clock Pacific. So if you have a computer, write that down, 1 o'clock Pacific time tomorrow. And then the following week, the subject is going to be the craft. You know, the craft, right? As in witchcraft. The guest is going to be Dr. Evelyn Paglini. And the host is going to be Ramona Bell. <laughs> That's going to be next week. I'll be here to um, introduce Linda and maybe do the commercials. But otherwise, Ramona's going to do the show. Now, that's going to be easy. I'll just be able to sort of lay back and... Punch a few buttons and relax for three hours. It should be very interesting. It'd be interesting to see if I can keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and then one other thing. There is a picture of a cat on my website that you must see. This is a terrorized, twitching uh, cat in agony of what is about to befall it. Or maybe just simply what it sees. It's hard to say. But it's funny, and I'm not going to say any more about it. It's on my website right now. Go take a look. Then finally, a brunette and two, count them folks, two blondes were walking across a college campus when a very large seagull unable to resist the radiance of blonde hair, dropped a sizable load upon the head of one of the blondes, and it began streaming down her face. Startled and taken aback by obvious surprise, the blonde exclaimed, Oh! The brunette immediately sought to offer assistance and said, Wait right here. I'll run into the administration building and get some toilet tissue. After standing around, waiting a few moments, the blonde with the messy hair turned to the other and said, <laughs> And they say that blondes are stupid and dumb. By the time that brunette gets back here with that toilet paper, the bird is going to be miles from here. <laughs> we'll be right back.
Uh, just as uh, Columbo would say, just one little more thing. This uh, goes back again to some of the earlier stories I told you, but I think this one's a capper. Art, my husband and I listen to you every night. Being as I'm seven months pregnant, I often fall asleep. But I woke up last night or early this morning, and I heard a female caller telling you things about her daughter, what she said when she was about three years old. The statements led her mother to believe that she was recalling a past life. Well, guess what? Same thing happened to me with my daughter, who's now 10 years old. Last night is the first time I ever heard anyone else who had had, a, you know, a similar experience. The first time it happened, you're going to love this, folks. I was driving my daughter home from daycare, and I was simply explaining why I had disciplined her earlier that day. As I tried to explain why mommies have to help their babies learn by using time out, she threw her head back and laughed. She turned to me and said, Well, yes, and I remember when I was the mommy and you were the baby. You didn't like me telling you what to do. She spoke in such a mature and knowing tone that I was really taken aback. It was quite chilling. I had never role-played with her uh, before, wherein she played the mommy and I played the baby. But when I asked her what she meant, she gave me a blank stare and went right back to being her regular self again. This actually happened a couple more times until she got to be four years of age, and then never again. Each time it did occur, her entire demeanor, her entire tone of voice would change. At first, I found it very chilling, and maybe I even scared her with my reaction, but every time I try to ask her more, she'd become quiet. Who knows? She's an extremely bright girl, but a less than two-year-old. I hardly wrote it off to typical or manipulative child behavior, a two-year-old. So we've kind of stumbled into something here with so many stories, with what we heard last night, with what I've been getting by fax and email, and I only I only gave you a, a small portion of what I received. They came pouring in. How many more parents out there have asked their children similar questions, getting answers that sent chills right down their spine because obviously it wasn't coming from their little one, but from some big one who was alive before? Uh, you never look at little Johnny the same way again, huh? I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. Somewhere in time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 11, 1999. Some unsigned joyous little person writes to me that I'm spitting in the face of Jesus on a nightly basis. 
Don't you think, Bill, that blonde jokes actually rival racist remarks and the New Age crap and the Satanism and the craft? Well, that's really nice, too. How many souls, Art, are you trying to send to hell anyway? By the way, Daniel Brinkley is possessed by a New Age kook. What's the matter with the craft? You have a problem with the craft? <laughs> it's just magic. And my wife, who practices a bit of the craft, along with Dr. Paglini, will be doing Greenland, not this week, but the following week. You're not going to want to miss that one. I don't spit in the face of anybody. We'll be right back. Anyway, as I was about to say before I almost interrupted myself, blonde jokes, racist, oh, really? Really? I mean, how could they be racist? They're the same race. I don't think they're racist. And as far as Satanism is concerned, I never preached it. I once, I once had a Satanist on the air. She was something else. Remember her? And the craft, well, that's just magic. And as far as how many souls am I trying to send to hell? None. None at all. Spitting in the eye of Jesus. You know, it's the right-wing fanatical religious group out there that I think spits in the face of more people with their view than anybody like I don't do any of that. I don't do any of that. A good bit of the craft, maybe, but that's that's not, not as accused. Now, I, I've got a really interesting guy on the phone for you here. This one's going to blow your mind. So prepare to have it blown. Have you been considering the possibility of buying a generator? Hmm? Well, I've got an employee, salesperson, for perhaps the biggest generator company. I, I don't know. I, let's ask him. We're going to call him Harry because we don't want to get him canned. Harry, are you there? Yeah, Art. We'll call you Harry. How's that? That's fine. And, hey, let me just say, if... Uh... If I can't hear Art Bell in heaven, I don't want any part of it. <laughs> well, if there's a way to be broadcasting up there, you will. <laughs> Great. That, that is assuming I make the trip. I mean, according to this last factor, it looks like I'm going down on the escalator. Yeah, along with the rest of us. Yeah, anyway, uh, the rest of us sinners. Harry, uh, you do work for a, you're what, a salesperson? Yeah, I work in... Uh... Don't, don't give the name of the company. I'm sorry? Don't give the name of the company. No, I, I can't do that. No. Um, I work for a uh, a distributor of generators, actually. Ah, a genera uh, generator distributor, so a large distributor of some sort. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what we do is uh, places like uh, stores or merchandisers will order them through us from the factory mm -hmm. um, in some cases. And we also sell a lot of industrial generators. Um and today, my uh, sales manager burst through the door and said, "No more quotes on portable generators." And uh, no, not even quotes. No quotes. Can't give any prices out. 
um, because we're not going to be able to supply them until after January of 2000. What? The only now, now, in in the facts that you sent me, you said you were uh, representing one of the largest manufacturers of portable generators. Is that correct? Yeah, I can't give out specific percentages, but it's a major a major chunk of. Uh, it supplies a healthy percentage of all portable generators sold in the U.S. Right? Yeah. And you're telling me that they're telling you. And this must be really serious if it gets to the sales level. To yeah. just forget it, to stop? Well, uh, they will be able to supply us with the portables after January. Of 2000. And, and the existing, yes. And and most of the existing orders will be filled at some point between now and then. Between now and January. Um, but we've already come to the cutoff, and this is just, uh, what, the 12th of March coming up? Yeah. Great. Keep, keep in mind, these are portables, you know, the kind you can wheel around. I understand. Um, the kind most people use for their residences. Yeah, so what would you say? Now, this represents a, a large percentage. Uh, do you have any idea what position the other companies are in? In other words, are back orders across the board for generators? This well, I have talked, you know, I get a lot of calls from people um, who want to know how soon we can get them. Generator. Generators. Yep. Um, and I know of at least two other smaller manufacturers that are already past January in their lead time. Um, but supposedly there are some other companies out there that that um, can get you generators before January. But I imagine with this uh, information that we got today, those, those days are numbered. I wonder what's going to happen to the price of generators. You know, as we get closer to January, there'll be a lot of black market stuff going on out there. Yeah, that'll be probably definitely black market. Um, I I believe that all the retail stores will be selling them all at the same price and that they'll they'll soon sell out of them before they even realize it. Wow. Um, And keep in mind, this is why... I brought it to your attention. You may still be able to find these units in in stores because there are some orders being filled. Um, so when you see them, jump on them. Don't go home and talk about it with your wife. <laughs> Buy it immediately. Um, well, list that you, put. You know, here's another question for you. Since you're in sales, mm-hmm. how many people do you get every day attempting to order a generator? Oh, well... Um, now, see, we don't actually specialize in in the portables. I uh, see. We usually refer them to retailers. Um, but I know that a good 90% of my calls are for people who want portables. Um, and after today, I would have to tell them... Um, Sorry. See what you can find at the, you know, at your local hardware store. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to order one for you. Yeah. <laughs> now the industrial generators are still available. Yes. Um, but you know those are those are a pretty penny. Ah, uh, yes they are. Um, well, Harry, not your real name. I want to thank you very much. At the bottom of your facts, you said now it begins, Art. <laughs> I think that uh, that now the some kind of camel's back was snapped by something. Don't know if it was a straw. It may have been a generator. <laughs> My friend, thank you.
Thank you, Art. Keep up the good work. Take care. All right. So there is a salesperson distributing uh, one of the nation's best-known generators. We won't even give the name, but that's it. Uh, here we are, moving into March 12th, West Coast time soon, and already you can't get one. You can't get one. This is going to be a really, really interesting year. And again, one has to be concerned that even if Y2K does not manifest itself... Oh, incidentally, I downloaded a little test program for my computers, and I've got new computers, you know, Pentiums, Pentium 2s. And I downloaded a little program that tests your computer. And my CMOS failed. In every damn one of my computers that I tested, my CMOS failed. Now, the BIOS state and programs dependent on the BIOS state are going to work. It's going to roll over. But the date in CMOS is going to go back to 1900 in my computers. Pretty chilling stuff. It was a free software download. There's a lot of them. But I looked at it, you know, and it sat there doing its thing, checking my computer. And it came back, and in several categories it said fail, 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 fail. That doesn't mean it's uh, going to stop operating, but it means that if I had anything dependent on the CMOS state, forget it. For those of you who know about computers, you know what I'm talking about. In other words, trouble. Uh, International Line, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, Art, it's Arnie calling from Manitoba, Canada. Arnie, hello there. Yeah, just turned down the CC radio. There we go. Okay, um, someone had, you'd mentioned about this type of metal that uh, when it had a scratch in it, it, it seemed to uh, disappear. Yes. Um, I spent uh, 25 years in the auto body uh, industry, and uh, uh, I know that uh, high-end German cars, like I believe it was Porsche and possibly Mercedes, they had a special coating on their undercarriages, like a zinc uh, or galvanized type coating. Yes. And it was designed that if it got scratched to bare metal uh, to prevent it from rusting, this this coating used to uh, heal itself up, like the scratch would heal itself up, and uh, sort of an electrolyte action. So, in other words, if you if you just go by and you 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 key somebody's Mercedes <laughs> all the way down the side, it'll heal up. It'll heal up as long as the owner doesn't catch you. It might not heal up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never heard of that before. That's cool. So that, that's, uh, he's probably got uh, part of a floor pan off a of Porsche or Mercedes there that he's uh, testing. But, well, but I've, there I've, is... got, I've got my new Trans Am, and i got to tell you it doesn't work that way. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you don't want to try scratching that yet. <laughs> no, not at all. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Take care. Uh, that's right. If the owner scratches you, you may not heal. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, Art. I just want to uh, tell you a little bit about the, the uh, CMOS in your computer. Oh, yes? Oh, oh really? Uh, what, um, yes. Th- Ninety-nine percent of the personal computers on the market have a real-time clock called the RTC. Right. And uh, they are not compliant, but it only affects your computer if you leave it on during the time change over into the year 2000. Otherwise, it doesn't really make a difference. If you boot up after, you know, the next morning, it won't be a problem whatsoever. So, in other words, I should leave all, I should turn off all my computers prior to midnight, the Mm -hmm. 31st. Yes. While I'm celebrating this new new coming millennium, and then turn them back on the next morning when I wake up. Yeah, for for most people it wouldn't matter if they left them on or not because they don't have anything any major systems running on their.
computers, but someone like you might have a satellite dish go spinning around and around. It might be a big deal. Well, I was really concerned because I have weather programs. I've got a program that plots the orbits of NOAA satellites, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I was pretty concerned about that. And But my computers, and they're new ones, too, and the damn things failed. What's yeah. the matter with these people anyway? How, well, could they, how could they not have the CMOS set up, particularly in new computers, to account for Y2K? Well, it's one of those uh, economies of scale issues. There's these uh. chips that are made in Taiwan or Bangladesh or wherever they're made, and it costs four more cents to make a chip that's compliant than to make one that's not. And on a massive level, it's not worth the cost to switch to the new chips. Great. Companies like Dell and great. else. Oh, know. that's just great. <laughs> Economy. All right. Well, I appreciate your call. Okay, thanks, Art. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Great. Would have cost him four cents. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, Art. This is uh, Dan in Virginia. How Hello, Dan. I'm... Call us toll-free at 1-800-618-8255. Because he made a prediction. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, you're not? No, and there's there's a reason for that, which I don't care to go into right now. Anything else, Dan? Uh, yes, I was going to uh, ask you about the crop circles. I have a theory about what you know what they might might entail. Uh, it's it's a way of uh, coding, which is unlocking uh, cellular memory, and when they appear on different points of the earth. Uh, hmm. It allows certain energies to come through the earth to work on, you know, and then, of course, we're grounded to the earth. And then that goes through our system, and it's uh, starting to unlock our... Uh, That's kind of a cool theory. On what do you base it? Uh, intu intuition. Hmm. So it's happening to us all. Every new crop circle that appears keys a little bit more. Is that it? That's it. And uh, I was wondering about Doug Ruby. I think he could really give us some insight other than, uh, you know, what he had been working on. I think he's probably getting some really good intuitive information. All right, Dan, actually pretty cool theory. Thank you. That each one of these crop circles, unbeknownst to us, is changing us just a little bit each time. And that, of course, counts for the increasing complexity from the early years of crop circles to what we see now spread sometimes over 10 acres. Maybe we're all changing. Maybe we're all getting different at the same time, which means, think about it, that we wouldn't notice. Now, if I was remaining, if I was in a static condition and you were changing, I would notice that you were changing, or, or the other way around. But if we're all changing at the same time, we wouldn't know it, would we? We would be the proverbial frog sitting in the ever hotter water. Or is that a lobster? Whatever it is. And we just wouldn't know what was happening. Hmm. Fascinating. International Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello there. Where are you? I am in British Columbia. B.C. All right, welcome. I am Marty. Yes, sir. Okay, uh, three things. Three things. Three things. Number one, uh, it's it's a real, it's a real bitch to get through uh, from here, eh? Um, well, uh, I guess it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it'd be it would be great if you got the uh, Canada line. Anyway. Well, no, wait a minute. No, Canadians can use the east and west of the Rockies, just like Americans. Oh, really? Oh, yes. yes. Okay. Number uh, two, uh, Lysol. 
kills herpes. Lysol kills herpes. Yes. Now, how do you know that? Uh, he's reading on the can. It does not say God. that. Read it does not say Honest that. to God, read the can. Get a can, go to the store, and then... Well, now, I think they mean uh, the herpes virus... Herpes simplex that, that, one and two. Yeah, that might be on a toilet seat or something. That's what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, after intercourse, you hold yourself down. Oh, please. And, uh, and, and do you, is, does, is number three um, ascending or descending from number two? Oh, it's ascending. ascending uh, we're, right. we're out of the gutter now. And number three? Uh, you were talking a while back about a, a movie where a woman ties the guy up and breaks his legs. Oh, yes. Remember that? Yes. That's uh, Misery. That's right, Misery. God, that was a freaky movie, wasn't it? Uh, that was pretty uh, Yeah, that was pretty, pretty screwed up. The book was way better, though. Uh, the book was better? Oh, yeah, way, way more attention. I... I, I really thought the movie did just fine in the tension category. Oh, yeah? Well, it was pretty good, I guess. I was tense. All right. Anyways, uh, have a good night. All right. You take care. And watch what you do with Lysol. You hear? <sighs> Spray yourself down. <laughs> There's something going on near Chicago, folks. And Peter Davenport and company have got a story that's going to rock you right back. They went down and personally investigated the whole thing. And that's coming up next on Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. It's going to be a wild night. Strap in. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming up. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 11, 1999. There is breaking news in ufology. Peter Davenport is here along with Robert A. Fairfax, Director of Investigations for MUFON in Washington. And there's been a major case with multiple witnesses, one that's really going to blow your mind. They're going to tell you that story in a moment. They've just completed the investigation if you ever actually complete one of these things. Also, there is breaking news in Chicago. Peter Davenport will have that story for you, or near Chicago somewhere, where a very large, guess what, once again, triangular object has been sighted. That and a lot more coming right up. So, the old saying, don't touch that dial. Peter Davenport is the director of the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, and he's been sporadically doing reports on this program now for, I don't know, uh, how long has it been, Peter? My first appearance uh, was on Dreamland on Sunday, the 19th of February, 1995, Art. 95, huh? Four years now. All right, four years, and investigating, take, taking reports actually first, 
collating them and uh, occasionally investigating reports. And this falls into the category of Peter actually went out on the road and investigated what we're about to tell you about. Um, I also have with me Robert A. Fairfax, who is Director of Investigations for MUFON in Washington State, and that should be self-explanatory. Robert, welcome to the program. Hello, Art. Uh, I wanted to say one thing to begin with. We haven't completed the whole investigation, just the initial uh, interviews. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Right. It, It really probably never ends fully. Uh, I wonder how many of that, in fact, that's a pretty good question, actually, for Peter, or for, for either one of you. How many of these investigations actually come to a complete conclusion, uh, an end, case no, closed? That's a very good question, Art, and I think I can honestly say that I don't think any one of these investigations that we've handled in the last four, four and a half years has ever been closed. Yeah, I had a feeling. Yep. Um, so, that said... What the heck happened? What, what did you two do? What, what were the reports, and where did you go? Yeah, it is a fascinating story. I find this one particularly alarming, Art, and I think our listeners tonight will get a feeling of that. Why don't I start off, Bob, with a just a brief introduction of what happened. Maybe you can fill in the blanks, and uh, then we'll play about a 77-second tape of the first report we got about this just about two weeks ago. All right. But... In a nutshell, what happened is this. On Thursday, the 25th of February, 1999, about two or three minutes before noon, a group of forestry workers in the state of Washington, not far from the uh, Mount St. Helens, which blew its top out here a couple decades ago, Mm -hmm. three of those workers saw what at first they thought was a parachute drifting over the ridge to the south of them, Mm-hmm. and drifting into the valley of the, the to the north of their location. They were out doing forestry work, which they've done for a decade or decade and a half, many of them in that area. They were astonished by this thing. The first three to see the object quickly called the attention of their co-workers to it, and they watched that object for, they estimate, three, four, maybe five minutes, and the long and the short of it is that object drifted towards a herd of elk And it was seen by 14 witnesses, allegedly, to pick one of the adult elk off uh, off the ground, pick it up out of the forest, and do a circle with it, and then start rising, rising faster and faster and faster, and it disappeared from their sight to the northeast. They abducted an elk? A full, fully grown adult elk, apparently, and it flew off to the northeast, Apparently the object, and I'm going to let Bob fill in some of the details that I've skipped over here. Apparently the object, as it after it picked up the elk, started slowly trying to gain altitude, apparently. And as it got higher, this elk apparently got closer and closer to the bottom of the disc. And by the time the object was above the observers, they it's could like, no longer see the elk. It's like it had some kind of tractor beam on the elk. In other words, could they see a beam of any anything? Um, no, they didn't see a beam, and it appeared that the hull may have even come in contact with the top of the head before the elk started disappearing into the bottom of the craft. How big was the craft, Bob? The craft wasn't much bigger than the elk. Uh, the elk is... We're talking about a 500-pound animal. Oh, that's pretty big. Yeah, it stands four and a half feet at the shoulder and about six and a half feet from nose to tail. 
Now, this is a pretty wild story, folks. Um, Let's go back to the beginning. How many people, pray tell, saw this? Fourteen. Fourteen witnesses, Art. Fourteen witnesses. And we were able to interview three of them. And, of course, one, a good investigator is always skeptical. Yes. Particularly in a case like this where you're being told just absolutely incredible, incredible things. But Bob and I, just a week ago tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, met with three of those 14 witnesses. And I'll let Bob speak for his own part, but my impression of the people we met with, the people who were involved with this case, are as sober-minded and modest and soft-spoken, perhaps even self-effacing a group of people as you'll ever run across. They didn't want any publicity, I take it. They want absolutely no publicity. That's part of the reason I'm pleased to have two of us on this phone tonight <laughs> describing what happened. Yes, uh, you were both there. Because it, uh, it is very difficult to believe. If you would permit me, I would like to play about a 77-second cut absolutely. of the first report we got. This first came in on the... Actually, this is a brief conversation I had with a gentleman... This came in on the 1st of March, just about three or four days after the event, after it had been preliminarily investigated by some of the people who were involved. But this, me, is, this is what put you onto it? This is the conversation I had a week ago, actually, that first put us on it, and Bob and I were on the road at about 9.30 the next morning, Friday morning, All right. just a week ago, headed to the site. But let me play this cut. It's about 70 seconds long. Okay, here we go. go. go ahead. What I was told was the, the crew was out planting trees. Uh, about noon, they looked up and saw what they thought it was a parachute coming down. Except as they got closer to the ground, it stopped and started doing some maneuvering, uh, which got the attention of more of the crew members. And they were standing there within 500 yards. Of, uh, they noticed it was a uh, machine rather than a parachute after a little bit. It went over, there was a herd of elk in the clear cut next to them, and it went over, hovered above the elk, and actually picked one of them up mm-hmm. and took it, I'm assuming, into the machine. They said that it then uh, acted like the weight of that thing was almost too much for them, mm-hmm. and it started wobbling. Trying to gain altitude, it was moving over towards the edge of the clear cut, and they thought it was going to crash into the trees, but it stopped, moved back over into the middle of the clear cut, hovered for a minute, and went out of sight vertical. And it took the elk with it, did it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when did this occur, please? Do you happen to know? Uh, the exact date, I don't. It was, I believe, Thursday. All right, so that started you out. Uh, I can see how that would get you going, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, holy uh, smoke. I at first didn't believe it. Yeah, I hear you. But it was coming from people with whom we've met now, and they're as sober-minded a group of people as you'll meet. Well, let's talk about who they are. Um, Bob, who are these witnesses? Uh, Fourteen people seeing this. That's pretty impressive. Now, who, what kind of witnesses are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about people that were scared scared by this event as much as the elk herd was scared. Apparently they were both huddling after the event. Not together, but in in separate groups. The impression I got was that they didn't want to jeopardize their their jobs by talking about it. Uh, Then how did you get them to talk? 
they were willing to talk to us in uh, a special fashion, I will say. These people really, really do not want any publicity, and that is sort of an interesting aspect. That, from my vantage point, I think Bob would probably agree, that is a very good sign. These people do not have an, any kind of agenda they apparently are trying to fulfill. They would not even allow us to photograph them, and there are certain aspects of our interview that we probably should just gloss over here and not mention at all. But uh, they took a day off. It was their day off when we interviewed them, and they assembled and drove some distance to meet with us to share with us firsthand what it was that they allegedly had seen just about uh, eight days earlier. And uh, it was interesting to watch them interact with one another we we interviewed them together for a host of reasons generally you like to interview people separately we did it together for a host of reasons mm -hmm. and it was very interesting to see how each of them amplified what the other one would say were but, you were you taping we did tape yes yes we did you did tape but obviously have, for for obvious reasons we can't put that on the air right yep they now, don't want we do look for certain signs and and things that we we know are common but most witnesses don't know about and one of them was that the craft wobbled it wobbled before it picked the creature up it wobbled afterwards and it and it wobbled in a an interesting fashion it uh, oscillated around all points of the compass like a, a wave motion traveling around the circumference which is typical of reports that we get uh, with a video for instance it's a very strange and peculiar type of movement all right question uh you remember the video the now famous or infamous i'm not sure which it is mexico city video of the wobbling ufo that goes behind the buildings right yeah. like that yeah. apparently so uh it was wobbling slowly as it approached the elk according to the witnesses and as you heard this gentleman uh, just comment in this uh, tape i just played after it picked the animal up, it was almost as if it was overgrossed, as though it had too much weight, and it started wobbling in a much more pronounced fashion. And what people described to us, I found to be very reminiscent of that that uh, tape from Mexico City called the Las Lamitas tape. Uh, Jaime Massan, who I know has been a guest on your program, described it and described his new evidence in that case, and it's it's rather convincing well certainly the interview with a little girl who saw it independent of any tape or any knowledge that was extremely convincing yes, despite the best bunking efforts of the, uh, the confirmation program mm -hmm. um, so the two of you I mean uh, 14 witnesses that's that's really incredible uh, you might get a couple of people maybe even three to concoct a story but not I don't think 14, and uh, particularly under the conditions of we don't want anything, we really don't want to talk to you, and we certainly don't want our pictures taken, and you don't have permission to play the tape. Yeah. 14 witnesses is pretty good, Art. And uh, Anybody have any idea what they might want with an elk? Well, of course, there are all the mutilation cases. And we had heard that there was, and we did examine a dead elk that was, not too far, maybe 20 minutes from the site. Oh. However, there were no uh, marks at all. It looked like a healthy uh, but dead elk. Yeah. 
It was a very mysterious situation. If I can jump in there, Bob. Yeah, go ahead, Bob, Bob examined it more than I did, although we were standing, I mean, just two feet from this animal. A very healthy, well-fed, pregnant female elk, uh, no broken bones, no bullet wound. We rolled her over with another gentleman who is very experienced in these matters. We could find no overt sign of injury, bullet hole, or anything. <laughs> and it, it is common for wild animals to die, of course. Uh, is it your hypothesis, gentlemen, that you examined possibly the elk that was, had been taken up? Well, we don't know that. I, I understand. I'm just asking if that... If yeah. you... It's one of the possibilities. The other possibility, other than natural death, or would be that perhaps radiation uh, from the craft could have affected another elk that was nearby. This wasn't the only dead elk found. There was another one, a yearling, which we didn't get a chance to examine at another spot. So did, I, did, either, did either one of you come away from the, the interview of these three with any doubts about the story? No doubts. No doubts. No doubt worth mentioning in my case either. These people are sincere, intelligent eloquent people who were unsettled by what they allegedly had seen. They had no particular desire. We had to round them up. It took some effort to get them rounded up over the course of the day to meet with us. They're responsible enough individuals that they recognize the value of this information. They did meet with us. Uh, it was a very matter-of-fact, factual uh, interview. Yeah. And again, again the, the craft itself was barely larger than the elk. Is that so? So it wasn't that big? No. <laughs> One of the things that uh, they commented on, this is a very interesting point. Maybe you can amplify on this too, Bob. They commented that the object was not much larger in diameter, and it was disc-shaped, disc clearly disc-shaped is the impression I got from them. It was not much bigger than the elk it said it, it, itself, as Bob has mentioned, but when it picked up the elk, their impression was that the object increased in its dimension. It got bigger. Oh, my. Yeah. It, it, it morphed, or it, it grew, literally, to accommodate the, the bulk or the size of the elk. We can't guarantee that. There could have been optical illusion. There are a lot of things involved in this case. Speaking for my own part, speaking for the National UFO Reporting Center and Peter Davenport, I do not speak for MUFON. Bob uh, would have that privilege. But I find this case to be alarming. It is a landmark case. Regrettably, we do not have a photograph. We do not have anything that I would construe to be hard proof. Well, 14 witnesses is pretty good for me. Yes. Bob, um, how would you classify this case in the cases that you have investigated in Washington? Well, I've never come across an elk abduction before. Mutilations are fairly rare. I've had some mostly on the eastern side of the mountains involving cattle. And, of course, just north of us in B.C., there was a rash of cat mutilations. Um, this elk apparently was actually seen by these witnesses to be in midair below the craft and, and then slowly rising to it? Yes. It, when the craft approached the herd, the herd scattered up the hill to the east. Right. One of the elk separated from the herd, and that's the one that the UFO grabbed. Now, once it 
had the elk, they the witnesses couldn't see the elk kicking or any movement other than a slow rotation of the elk underneath the craft. A rotation? Yeah. It was was sort of frozen, but turning slowly? Yes, yes. And then also it seemed to be disappearing up into the hull, though there wasn't any opening that was described. That was that was an interesting part of their their testimony or their statement. They they were looking down. We estimate about 280 feet vertical uh, elevation difference between the observers and the UFO that was below them. So they were looking at the top of the object when it was going after the elk. Oh, now that too is really different. Wow. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, hold on. We'll be right back. We're at the bottom of the hour. Can you imagine that elk slowly twisting, frozen? and slowly twisting toward that craft. Fourteen witnesses, folks. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. Take you back to the past on Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Art Bell. And remember last hour, a little levity here. We had a call from a fellow who said that Lysol kills her piece. <laughs> he suggested at an appropriate moment a spraying down of oneself after the fact. <laughs> a, a friend of mine who is a doctor faxed me quickly the following. Hey, Art. Lysol kills herpes? Sure. And you can cure crabs with an ice pick. <laughs> that sort of draws a kind of paints a metal picture there that you don't want to think about too long. <laughs> oh, it's a serious story we're into, and so I'll have to compose myself and we'll get back to it. This is a major incident we are discussing uh, with 14 witnesses of truly non-trivial matter. The abduction, apparent abduction of an elk in a craft uh, seen by 14 witnesses. And gentlemen, a couple of more questions. You said that the witnesses were looking down, so they actually saw the top of the craft. They saw all this from above. That's unusual by itself. How far away about from the, the craft when it, um, it got to the elk were the witnesses. How far away? Why don't you take that, Bob? Well, we got an estimate of about uh, 350 to 400 yards. Okay. So it's a distance, and you can't see detail at that distance. Three or four football fields. Uh, one interesting point, uh, the reason the craft made a 360 circle, we think, is because the elk wasn't completely inside when it hit the tree line. We think that the uh, the witness, some of the witnesses, think that the elk may have hit the top of the trees 
and then the the crap wobbled a bunch and, and backed up basically and did a 360 spiral to clear the trees before it went vertical. And then once it went vertical, it took off at great speed, or no, no, it was fairly slow throughout. It it never hovered. It basically maintained a steady speed and eventually disappeared in the cloud cover. It just rose and rose and rose along the eastern or western-facing slope, and then it got steeper and steeper and just went out of their sight, disappeared into the sky to the northeast. That's what they reported to us. It is an astonishing story, in my opinion, Art. Well, any time you have 14 people uh, who saw the same thing, you've got to stop and, and think real hard. about it. And, and so this, you know, it calls to mind a million questions. Uh, why such a small craft? Why an elk? What would they do with an elk? Who are they? Was it uh, a guided craft? Was it a robotic craft? Sounds like it might have been a robotic craft, but who the hell knows? Uh, yeah, it's uh, very difficult to answer those questions. We, Bob and I, I think are frustrated uh, immensely by this case because we can't, we don't have a photograph. If we had a photograph of this one, I think it would change the complexion of ufology dramatically. But these guys were out there planting trees. They didn't think that they would see something like that. They didn't have a camera. Uh, one of the things that they reported to us is very interesting. They noted that the, as Bob reported earlier, the herd of elk after this incident regrouped in the same area and stayed very close to one another. Noticeably closer, they reported, and they were able to compare because they had been watching the animals throughout that morning down in the valley below them. Okay, isn't that the behavior um, of, a, of a group of elk or a herd of elk? Uh, wouldn't it be similar if a predator had taken one? Wouldn't the elk uh, then sort of gather closer for protection of the unit? I believe so. Yeah. I'm not a large animal biologist. It's very difficult for me to say, but that seems reasonable. Of course it does. Uh, interestingly, the workers themselves stayed very close to one another throughout that day. <laughs> they clearly, clearly were unsettled by this incident and uh, apparently talked about it profusely among themselves, and they were even put in touch with people with more authority in that area we don't want to identify them uh and describe their story to we don't want to get them we don't want to get them fired is what exactly. it comes down to they don't want to be identified none of the people involved in this case wish to be identified bob how long have you been an investigator for mufon about seven years seven years well anything either one of you want to add to this one uh, that we haven't covered well, hopefully we can uncover some something else. Uh, we are planning on talking to some more witnesses if that's possible. Yep. One thing I might add, Art, um, <clears throat> when we were examining this dead female elk, we actually examined the dead elk before we went to the site of the alleged incident. Uh, we uh -huh. noticed, I noticed, that this animal had ticks on it. When you when you uh, ran your hand through the fur of the animal. It had dead ticks on its neck. Dead ticks. Dead ticks. Now, my experience with ticks is that when an animal dies and starts getting cool, the ticks generally will leave the animal. Uh, these these ticks appeared to be still uh, clinging to the animal. Oh, the is... animal was first seen on the 1st of March, Monday morning. And the ticks 
were dead. The ticks were dead. Now, again, oh. I'm not an animal person, and, I, and you're not either, but I wonder if that's normal. Yeah. We, one of the things I'd like to do is talk to an entomologist and a uh, large animal biologist to find out if anything is known about the migration of ticks after an animal has died. But there was no mark on this animal. It makes me wonder whether the ticks and the animal might have been killed by the same uh, cause, let's call it. But uh, it is a very interesting case. We also noted that there weren't any scavengers that had uh, attacked the carcass. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, in fact, the people who went out with us, or the person who went out with us, is very experienced with these animals, and he noted that as well. It seems hmm. unusual that this animal would lie for at least five days, maybe more like nine days. I'd say impossible. Yeah. I, I live here in Pahrump, Nevada, and, uh, you know, there's a gazillion rabbits. And when a rabbit is hit by a car, it is you can't count 24 hours before all signs of that rabbit, save a little discoloration on the road, are gone. The birds pick it apart inside of 24 hours without fail. Yeah. And that's, that's how it works here. Now, um, it's absolutely unreasonable that anything after eight or nine days would not have been... Yeah. We did run across a porcupine, too, as we were driving back from this carcass, and the porcupine had been picked clean. Its ribs were sticking out. But that animal was totally, totally untouched by any kind of predator, birds or uh, any kind of scavenger. Mm. You know, I, no I, I, I realize that both of you are investigators, but would either one of you like to conjecture anything about this? Or does that is that asking too much of an investigator? Yeah. Well, for me, it's asking too much because uh, there's just too many unknowns. Well, I guess we'll leave it to everybody in the audience to conjecture then. Yeah. I'm hard put to go any further than we've gone because we, we've we just run headlong into the barrier of the information we have. Uh, we don't have any more. We don't have any proof. All we have is uh, statements from individuals, although, again, very seemingly very reliable individuals. The only other thing I can add, Art, is that we have... I, I have never seen this volume of UFO reports as what I've seen in the last couple of months, and even recently. And there's been a cluster of reports just in the last two weeks, I would say, from all over the country. In fact, we had a major sighting out in the Midwest tonight. I gather we have some listeners out in the Chicago area. Major sighting in Lamont, uh, Illinois tonight, and minutes later, the object apparently was seen down in Susque Sandusky, Ohio area. Ohio. Uh, well, listen, at this point, I think we'll say thank you to Bob. Bob, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I understand uh, how Peter feels. Coming on the air with a story like this without some support would be a very uncomfortable thing to do. Well, thank you, Art. And so thank you for coming on, and, and take care. All right. All right, that's... Uh, uh, that's Bob, and he's a uh, uh, investigator for MUFON, and has been so for about seven years. Boy, that was some story. All right, now Chicago. Yeah. What What the hell has happened in Chicago? You know, I was just sitting here preparing for this program tonight, minding my own business, hoping the phone would be quiet, and it was not, Art. Um, we have had what appears to be, based on preliminary data, just about two, two and a half hours ago, a huge 
Triangle was seen in the vicinity of Lamont, Illinois. Where is that from Chicago? I have not been able to find it on a map yet. I didn't okay. have time to do it. But it is a rural area. Somebody, uh, please email me and tell me where Lamont is. I'll have that answer for you in a moment. I presume it's out to the west, because if you go east from Chicago, of course, it's not rural area at all. But let me, if you'd permit me, what I would like to do to kick it off is just play about a 50-second audio cut that I took just this evening about a sighting out there at 10.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. The first cut I would like to play is a young gal, age 16, uh, who was out driving and I'll let her describe what she saw. It was very dramatic. And after that, we uh, we might play a cut from the mother who saw the same object. She was called out by her daughter. But here's a 50-second cut of what a young woman saw in Lamont, Illinois, tonight, just about two hours ago. Here we are. All right. And it wasn't moving. It was just sitting there in the sky. And I was driving towards it. And I went to make a turn, and it was coming closer. And then it was right above me, and it was triangular shaped and it had lights on like on the end of the, like the wings of it mm-hmm. and it was going really slow okay. and really low too how long did you witness it do you estimate and what time did you see it please it was around 10:30 p.m. Uh-huh. okay and what direction was it going could you estimate that it was going east it was going east huh yeah okay. and then later when we saw it it was going south it like turned Okay. So I came in the house, and I said, Mom, you got to come out here. There's something in the sky. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why? So that girl tonight, Art, we're talking about an event less than two hours ago, not far from Chicago, saw a huge triangle overhead. And we didn't know what to make of that until we got a call from the Sandusky, uh, Ohio Sheriff's Office. Sheriff's Office. Reporting a sighting down there. But before we go to that sighting in Ohio that occurred just a few minutes after this sighting up in Illinois, if you'd permit me, let me play about a 70-second cut with regard to what this young woman's mother had to... All right, Peter, just before you do that, Lamont is approximately 40 miles southwest of Chicago. Okay, I'm glad to know. Um, Interestingly, this young gal described that when they last saw the object tonight... It was going to the east, and it made a turn, and it was going to the south. I presume those are approximate directions. But let's listen to what the mother had to describe. Her daughter came in, called her out, and said, Mom, you got to look at this. Let's listen to what the mother has to report. Here we are, about 70-second cut. Sure. I saw it was triangular-shaped, but it was not flying very high. But I think higher by the time I saw it than once did. And it seemed to be flying as though it was going okay. where the point was. Yep. Thought probably around uh, 1035. There were um, lights all around it. There was mm-hmm. one light in the center underneath. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it was red or red. It was red. I couldn't remember if it was blue. There were blue lights. On the side, there was some white light. See, it just had a ton of light around it. Mm-hmm. Flying airplane sound at all. And even when there's planes going really high overhead, because we are a rural suburb and it's dark, you will hear it mm-hmm. at night. Mm-hmm. There was no sound. We were out there listening to critters. Yeah. 
It was so silent as this object passed over them, they could hear the critters, she says. That sounds just like my sighting. Yeah. Like and exactly uh, like it. God, what, have, what is going on, Peter? Yeah. I wish I knew, Art. Um, I'm not able to say any more than the average person on the city streets what all of this means. But uh, I am in a privileged position, of course, to be able to have an oversight of the country and what's going on. And my impression is that these sightings are becoming more overt. These things are showing themselves much more brazenly than has been the case in the past. And it's happening much more frequently. You recall um, the, uh, the sighting that Roger Lear and I reported on the 2nd of March uh, that we had had in Laughlin on the 27th of uh, February. I've got a little news for you on that one. I got a lot of emails, follow-up emails to that. It was seen in Arizona. Yes. Uh, that same night, Peter, the same uh, thing you saw was seen in Arizona widely. Yep. I'm not surprised. Uh, there was a similar sighting in Pomona, California that morning over a golf course. They had 30 people standing looking at a cigar over a golf course in Pomona, California on Saturday morning. You mean a cigar-shaped object? Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Thank you. Thank a cigar-shaped object. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> terminology of my business. I sometimes lose track of it. Are a cigar-shaped object, metallic in appearance. They had long enough to go get a set of binoculars, come back and watch it. There were sightings all over this country that uh, that morning, that afternoon, and that evening. But before we leave this sighting tonight, may I play one more cut, an audio cut of about 50 seconds duration of what was reported to us shortly after... The report you just heard came in. Sure. This is from a young gal who was out driving with a young friend of hers, a male friend. They saw the object coming from the west or the northwest, which is exactly where it would have been coming from after Chicago, and this is just a few minutes after the Chicago sighting. Here we go. This is uh, Sandusky, Ohio. First we seen a really bright light, and we followed it. We went up. We got up to 85 miles per hour, got up right underneath it, and it was up in the sky. And we thought it was a big, bright star. And we're like, no, that is not a star. That's huge. So we got up right underneath it. And it was like pyramid with three circular lights. And we got underneath it, and it was there for about a good few minutes. And it shot up into the sky. Like, you you see a, a, a shooting star fall down. It was like a shooting star going up into the sky. I mean, it was crazy. And what time did you see it, and where were you located in Ohio at the time, please? I was at 101 and 268, like, combing into Clyde. It was probably, what, five minutes? We even shut off the car, and, like, you know, he got out, and I, like, just watched it. It was, like, freaky. Mm -hmm. It was, like, just, it, you know, we knew it wasn't a plane, and it was, like, flying in the sky, and we got underneath it. It wasn't a plane. That was tonight. Wow. You know, she said pyramid, but a pyramid yeah. is nothing but a triangle, really. Yeah. I don't know whether that was an exact description. Uh, in both these cases, the observers were emotionally involved. Let's oh, you could clearly hear it in her voice. Sure. Yeah. These young gals were still up. Even though they have school or work tomorrow morning, they were still up because they couldn't go to sleep. Both of them commented on that. Oh, yes, it does that to you. Yeah. It does that to you. And, you know, a strange... When you have a sighting like that, Peter, actually when it's occurring, you're kind of in what I would describe as a state of shock, and then you slowly come out of it, and then you start talking about it. 
sort of reassuring each other about what you just saw. Yeah. But there's a kind of a state of shock that you're in for a while, and then comes the lack of sleep. Then you begin to think about what just happened to you. But when it's actually happening, you're almost suspended. Yes. What you're describing, Art, is something that I have heard over the hotline here in Seattle hundreds of times, hundreds of times. And uh, it has that effect on people. You're exactly right. But these sightings have been occurring all over the United States regularly, um, night and day. In fact, I have another very interesting cut here if we get about two minutes after the break. Oh, we have plenty of time. Um, I will play about a two-minute cut. I presume you may have a few listeners in Los Angeles. Am I correct in that assumption? One or two at least. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they may want to stay tuned because I'm going to play about a two-minute audio cut of what allegedly occurred very close to Los Angeles proper this past Sunday at about 5.20 in the morning below solid overcast. You know, one thing we're always interested in is missile launches out of Vandenberg. Oh, yes. But I think when our listeners have heard this cut, they will agree that this cannot be ascribed to a missile or any kind of conventional aircraft. You got it. We'll be right back with that. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More Somewhere in Time coming up. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 11, 1999. Well, you got to listen to the words of that. Good morning, everybody. I'm Art Bell. Peter Davenport is here. And in a moment, I'm going to uh, sort of resurrect a private little conversation uh, sentence or two that we had during the break because I think it's really important. We'll see if we can get Peter to repeat it. Anyway, I'm playing catch-up, so bear with me. Once again now, back to uh, Peter Davenport. And just before we launch into what happened in L.A., Peter, uh, on the phone you and I were talking, mm -hmm. and you said something about our government. You want to repeat that? Well, I'm not sure I do, Art, but I will. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if it's something you really feel, you should say it. I'm, yeah. Because um, I agree with it. I am alarmed by this government. Um I think it's important for our listeners to know just how modest an operation this is up in Seattle. A lot of people mistake us for a Fortune 300 company, but we're not. <laughs> we're about one or two, maybe three dedicated people with a couple telephone lines, an antiquated tape recorder, and a computer. And we can generate some pretty good data just with that equipment. If we can do that, I ask rhetorically, what must the U.S. government be doing in spending 300 billions of our dollars every year for defense? Obviously, they are detecting UFOs, and therefore, 
They are lying to the American people. It is that simple, and that concerns me. It they concerns me, too. Uh, it is a straight-out, bold-face, absolute lie. It I mean, that's the, all it is. It's all it can be, Peter. It is the biggest lie on the planet today. The fact that these governments would have us believe, Art, that this phenomenon that you and I have been talking about now for an, an hour and a quarter tonight, and in fact for four years, is not taking place. Now, it is alarming to me because this government we have purportedly, allegedly, is representative of our interests. Why are they saying nothing? Because perhaps they feel it is in our interest not to know. Now, just go back no further, if you will, than the Roswell press conference. Roswell case closed. Remember that one? Yeah. It was that all was due to crash dummies. Absolutely ludicrous. And, and you have to wonder why they even... In fact, why they, how they decided. I, I would love to know the people who sat around the table and decided they were going to have a press conference about Roswell to debunk the whole thing. Yeah. And wouldn't you love to know? I mean, there, there, there's got to be a paperwork trail a mile long about that thing. Yeah, of course. I don't know much about Roswell. I find some of these cases that we talk about routinely to be even more gripping, more alarming than Roswell. Let's face it, Roswell was over half a century The ago. one you just brought us uh, comes to mind. Fourteen witnesses. Yeah. But, I mean, Peter, trust me, I was in the Air Force, and nothing would uh, high-profile public like that would happen in a million years without a whole bunch of people sitting around, um, high-profile type general-class officers and civilians yeah. of some sort deciding exactly what was going to be done. It's yeah. a lie. I used to be an Air Force brat for one year. I got a good dose of the U.S. Air Force as a kid, 14 years of age, living in East Africa, Ethiopia. I was a family friend and guest of a family that was assigned duty there. And I got, uh, I became quite familiar with how things are done in the military, and then I served four years myself. Um, well, I sure would like to have somebody out there, Peter Gersten, are you listening, uh, serve up a Freedom of Information request with regard to the planning of that whole Roswell press conference. Yeah. Anyway, Los Angeles. Yeah, let's go to Los Angeles, and I hope we have a few listeners down there tonight, <laughs> because just four days ago there was a, apparently, we have only one source on this, but apparently a very dramatic event. It was not a missile launch for reasons that will become evident to our listeners here very shortly. And this was... And a former LAPD officer who witnessed what you're about to hear. It's about a two-minute and 15-second cut, Art. It's a little bit longer than I like to play. No, that's right. But it gets interesting towards the end. Here we go. It's actually in La Mirada, which I think is about 15 miles east of Los Angeles. All right. This is Sunday, the 7th of March, just four days ago. Here we go. On the 7th of March at 5.20 in the morning... In suburban Los Angeles, my husband was leaving. He's a police motor officer to go to work. Under heavy cloud cover, he was standing in the driveway. He called me up to see if we were wondering if it was going to rain. Under the clouds was a large, yellow, round-shaped something. At first, we thought it might be a planet. Realized it was under the cloud cover. Mm -hmm. We then and got a, the binoculars, came out. As I came out, he said, look, a smaller portion pulled away or broke off and at a measured pace 
took off in a south erection mm-hmm. and disappeared into the clouds. Mm-hmm. After that disappeared, the larger, and by this time I was looking through the binoculars, it was not as solid yellow or light as it would be with a star or, or a, mm-hmm. a, a planet. Light and dark, light and dark, light and dark. And it then took off at also a measured pace and went in a northeasterly direction. We thought it might be something going to Edwards Air Force Base. There has been nothing in any of the papers you know, or on TV. Frequently things like that are uh, called into TV stations, and they met, mention yeah. it on air. Yeah. Stay with me. This has really sort of bugged me. I'm, what is this? And, and we have always thought, well, we don't disbelieve, we don't believe, we just have opened. And when we saw this, the more we talked about it, why we thought this is something unusual, and it has to be a, it's not a natural if yes. it were, it would not show through the cloud cover. It was under the cloud cover. Yep, so it couldn't be shown through the cloud. There were no stars, no anything else showing. Okay. And it disappeared into the clouds. That was the other thing. When it did come into the, uh, this northeasterly direction, it went away and then just slid into the clouds. How long do you estimate you watched it, please? Oh, it was three or four minutes because I had time to run in the house, get binoculars, come out, and it was still stationary. And as I was adjusting them, my husband said, look. And that's when the smaller object just sort of, and it, and I don't know how to explain it other than it seemed to come back a curve, turn. Mm-hmm. Whereas if something were naturally falling as a falling star, it would have just gone very quickly. This was at a measured pace. Uh-huh. So a measured pace, <laughs> two objects, a large one, yeah. and according to this source, again, I wish to emphasize, Art, that it's a single source. But uh, a credible source, former police officer. Credible source. Yes. This is the wife of the officer who's speaking. Oh, I see. I asked her at the end of our conversation whether she was professional, whether she she uh, worked in a responsible job. She speaks very eloquently. Yes. Very precise with the language. You learn a lot about people. Sure. When you spend half your day on the telephone. You just, bet. Judging from their voices, she said she was, and this is a case in which. The object went to the north and east after it had dropped a smaller object apparently out of the bottom of it, which slowed and stopped, and then it started moving in a methodical fashion to the southeast. I have no idea what could explain such a thing. There's nothing from this planet, in my opinion, that could explain something like that. And this is 15 miles from downtown Los Angeles, just four days ago. Now, the only thing that would really wrap this up is if you had a witness saying they saw it too and it was a running elk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know about that elk. <laughs> the one thing that I find really upsetting, I love animals. I love wild animals in particular. And it really troubles me if these animals are being tortured or if they are dying of fright. It's a very unsettling thought to of me. Of course. And there's not a thing we can do about it that I'm aware of. And they do die of fright, don't they? Yeah, of course they do. Uh, it happens in the wild all the time. Uh, I understand. I'm not a specialist in these fields, but I can just imagine some kind of Independence Day barbecue just on the far side of the moon or something like that. But, uh, you know, I have read, I'm not a specialist in the field of animal mutilation, but there have been, and Linda Howe could really Linda certainly is. address this. I think I've heard her say something like 30 or 40,000 cases, documented cases of farm animals I know. 
that have been mutilated. I know. You should follow up by calling Linda yes. and playing this for her. Um, well, now you can't, there's nothing to play. I guess that we should get this segment um, to Linda so that she hears it, so she knows what's going on. I mean, this is really in her. Yeah. I'll get in touch with her and uh, let her know about this case. We wanted to make sure that it was real. We we actually didn't believe it at first. Uh, we wanted to go down, talk to the people, see the place with our own eyes, look for evidence and so on and so forth. But after our day of investigating this, I'm pretty well satisfied that this is a real case. Well, I told Linda that you had something going that was in her area, and she was chafing at the bit, but I wouldn't tell her about it because I, I didn't really... <laughs> exactly know all the details and i was sort of sworn to silence until we put it on the air tonight so i'll apologize to her <laughs> i thought of her and i didn't want to uh didn't want to raise dust unless i had really something in hand hear you uh anything else peter uh there's all sorts of stuff going on you know uh roger lear and i were on uh the second of march talking about our sighting in laughlin nevada on the 27th of september that saturday night at the end of the ufo congress um, apparently you've gotten some information about that, but just uh, yesterday we received a report from a gentleman who saw apparently those same objects, those mm -hmm. same five objects in the night sky. Many, many people saw those objects, Peter. Yes. He was in um, Chloride, Arizona, ah. which I estimate is about 20 miles maybe to the northeast, uh, maybe east-northeast of Laughlin. And we got the report. I read it with eager delight because it tended to confirm the sighting that 50 of us had had right on the western bank of the Colorado River. And I quickly wrote him back asking him how he had found us, uh, whether he had heard the broadcast on the 2nd of March. He said, he know, no, he didn't know about us, hadn't heard the broadcast. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting thing about his report, Art, is he was 20 or 30 miles to the east of the observers. Right that Roger and I were standing with in Laughlin, Nevada. And the objects were even to the east of him. Of him. All right, well, I had a whole raft. I should have talked to you about this. I had a whole raft of emails from people who saw these objects, Peter. Yeah. Not just on that night, but on several consecutive nights at about the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not surprised, Art. And what this uh, this one report we got from Chloride tell, seems to tell me, if in fact he was looking at the objects at the same time we in the group of 50 over in Laughlin were looking at them, what it tells me is that the objects that we could see must have been 20 or 30 miles away from us, and they were quite prominent. They were not large, but they were prominent, which means that they were they must have been sizable. We're talking about something that must have been... I'm only guessing now, I have not worked this out, 30, 40, 50 meters in diameter and highly luminous for us to have been seen, to have been able to see them from 20 or 30 miles away. People frequently ask if UFOs uh, wish to visit Earth or be seen near Earth, why would they have luminosity? Why would they have lights? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> Unless they want to be seen. Yeah. The, uh, this woman who just reported from La Mirada, she, she pointed out that there were alternating sections on this thing. Light, oh, dark, oh. light, dark, light, dark. 
I hear you. And we hear that all the time. In fact, it's reminiscent of a report from the 2nd of February that I think I played on an earlier program, an earlier program of Coast from uh, Sicklerville, New Jersey. It's about 15, 20 miles southeast of Philadelphia. That's exactly what the woman reported she allegedly had seen on the 2nd of February this year. So there's consistency between these reports. But, I mean, even, even our own government, our own Air Force, uh, we've got stealth um, fighters, we've got stealth bombers, we've got black helicopters, and if we don't want them seen at night, they don't get seen. Yeah. Imagine a technology that might be thousands, millions, or billions of years older than ours. When we encounter it, it will probably look like magic to us. Mm-hmm. Pure magic. Uh, listen, the first mass mind experiment I did... I did about two years and two weeks ago. The first experiment I dared toy with in my reckless early days was to try and get millions of people to concentrate on craft showing themselves above a major U.S. city. That was the first mass experiment we did. Two weeks later, almost to this very day, we had incredible occurrences... In Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. That's certainly not my field. I know. It is clear. It is clear from my vantage point up here in Seattle that we're dealing with something that we do not understand. It is vastly beyond what, what grasp of technology we have on this planet. And I am prepared to give considerable... Uh, lend considerable ear to any assertion in the field of ufology because the more we learn, the more confused we become and it is clear that something is going on. The only the only thing that seems clear is, as you suggested, uh, frankly, earlier, that this is the biggest lie in the world. Yeah. You know, going back to that issue for a moment, if I may, I see we're coming up on a break here shortly, but... The thing that confuses me about the government issue and UFOs is how could our government continue the lie through generations of elected officials? I mean, presidents, members of Congress, uh, generations of people in the military. It's now been 50 years since the over 50 years, almost 52 years now, since the so-called modern era of ufology began with Roswell or with Ken Arnold, actually, over the state of Washington. Right. And that's a lot of people who have passed through fairly responsible positions in our government, and yet all of them have remained silent, with a few notable exceptions. Uh, Barry Goldwater pressed right. this. Uh, Governor Carter actually pressed it. You know, he made two, at least two promises that I'm aware of in the summer of 1976 when he was running for the office of president. He said he would never lie to the American people, and when he was asked about his written UFO report that he submitted to NICAP in 1973, he said were he elected to be elected president, he would swear with the American people on UFOs. Well, I know, but I think that presidents get into office, they get elected, and then somebody sits them down and talks to them about reality. Yep. All right, Peter, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, we're going to reminisce about two years ago and what happened. It was surely non-trivial. You'll hear the voices. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM. 
from March 11, 1999. Peter Davenport is here, and he'll be right back. Peter, are you there? I'm here. I'm going to read you one. All right? This just came in. Now, over the last several days, we have been having a rather large magnetic storm. The sun really is kicking up a, a hissy fit these days. And I just got this fax, which says, Art, pilot sees spectacular northern lights display tonight. Check this out. Art, I'm a commercial airline pilot. While en route from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to Minneapolis, Minnesota this evening at about 11.30 p.m., I was treated to a spectacular northern lights display in the northern sky. Now, that's not why I'm writing to you, because I've been treated to many shows in the past. Main reason I'm writing to you tonight is not what I saw, but what I physically felt. I noticed my face had the same feeling as when you lay in the sun getting a suntan on the beach. My skin on my face was very, very warm, almost like I had a fever. The captain stated that he was experiencing the same conditions as I. Once we descended below the overcast clouds over Minneapolis, our conditions disappeared. I have never, in my 15 years of flying, experienced anything like this. Signed, Paul, first officer for a major airline in the Midwest. Hmm. Pretty weird, huh? I don't know what to make of that. Uh, it brings to mind a an incident that occurred on the 27th of February 1996 in the vicinity of Saginaw, Michigan. Twin-engine turboprop um, had a disc right on its nose. It attempted to dive away from it. A disc went all the way through the overcast with it. But I have no way of knowing whether what these gentlemen experienced uh, in any way UFO related, of course. But that is a very interesting story. Can sunstorms, solar storms do that, do you know? Uh, well, Peter, I, I didn't think so. Um, now, I know that there are issues at altitude during geomagnetic storms, mm-hmm. but I have never heard of anybody describing those kind of physical effects ever. And the captain, you know, I mean, here we have a captain and first officer both saying the same thing. So I I, um, I I don't know how to categorize this one, except I sure would like to talk to the fellow. That is truly bizarre. We would like very much to get a report from them over our website. The online report form allows a person just in five minutes to capture data like that, send it to us, and we'll post it. They won't jeopardize their job that way, Peter. Yeah, 
We don't release names, addresses, or phone numbers so they can keep it more or less anonymous. As although, anonymous as it was when I just read it? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> although if somebody wants to find out who they are, of course, they could go to the the uh, flight number and the time and so on and so forth yeah, and figure exactly, it out. Exactly. But um, And so, I, you know, I, 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 I absolutely believe, purity, um, what this fellow has said to me, but I wouldn't jeopardize his job. I, I know. A good friend of mine is John Lear, and he used to investigate this kind of thing, and it cost him a job with a major airline. I remember the story. Sure. Yeah. It's a true story. So they don't report these things, as we well know. Listen, two years ago, two years ago, it would have been about this hour, wouldn't it? It would have almost to the minute, Art, I think. Almost to the minute is when we were on the air talking about what had just happened. In Phoenix. In Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it's ironic. And, you know, this past week I've sent out uh, copies of a two-page press release that I prepared and circulated to wire services, to local newspapers here, local television stations, people all across the country, NPR, uh, sent out several dozen of these things, faxed them out, and I have yet, to have a single news organization or medium call back to get clarification, to seek more information, to acknowledge receipt. You know, I think these people in the press must think we're idiots or something. I do not understand why people in the press are not going after this story. This is the biggest story that we've had in 2,000 years. Yes, sir. And it is going uncovered save for one news outlet in the world, and that is Coast to Coast and uh, Dreamland. You know, you <clears throat> you did the earliest coverage on the Phoenix Lights. I think you had it on within an hour. Yeah, as it was, was happening, it? actually. still happening. Yeah, exactly. We went on at 11 o'clock that night. I think you were starting your broadcast at 11 back Phones then. Phones were absolutely going berserk. Yeah. It was, a, it was a night I'll never, ever forget. And, and you've got a couple of sound clips from back then, don't you? Yeah, we sure do. We can play a couple more here uh, tonight if you'd like. Sure. But, uh, yeah, that was a wild night for us. I It was one of those nights where you don't even believe what people are telling you. They're telling you that the object stopped over them, mm -hmm. and they had to hold their arms out in a V about 60 degrees out to touch the right hand and the left hand wingtips of uh, the object that was hovering motionless directly overhead them at an altitude. You know, we estimate, you've probably heard this already, Art, we may have dis discussed this on a program in the past, the object, and we think there were several of them that night, two years ago, the object that stopped just south of Camelback Mountain in Phoenix was somewhere between one and three miles in width one and three miles, and it hovered there for an estimated four to five minutes. Now, remember, folks, Phoenix is not your hick little city. There are, in the Phoenix area, roughly two million people or better. This is a major U.S. metropolitan area, though it's in the desert. It's a gigantic area, I, just a major U.S. metropolitan area. Yep. 75 is... miles wide, 50 miles from north to south. Right, not Podunk, uh, Nevada, or Wyoming, or whatever, but a major U.S. population center. Yep. Let me play a little cut here, Art. Uh, it's just a short piece, about 30, 40 seconds maybe, but it comes from Prescott Valley, I believe is the one I'm going to play here. 
it has a family looking at this object that is going to the west of them and heading south. I think the gentleman actually cites the fact that they think it turned. Mm-hmm. But this is what was seen over Prescott Valley as it was coursing south to Phoenix within probably a minute of this broadcast or of this telephone conversation the object was uh, approaching Phoenix 30 or 40 miles to the south but let me just play this and this will give our listeners who are not familiar with the Phoenix lights an idea of what happened two years ago tonight here we go uh, well I was outside with my wife and my two boys uh-huh. and uh, we were looking to the almost west at about 820 uh-huh. and there was a it was like a diamond formation uh-huh. and uh, five red lights pretty good spread uh-huh. Uh, the very front craft had a white light, like a landing light. Uh-huh. So I went and got my binoculars to look at them, and they had solid lights, and they were moving very slow. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, I thought maybe at first it was helicopters, but then because I've seen them doing do the dusting at night in L.A. and things like that, yeah. uh, they're moving as slow as that. And they came overhead. Um, they still had their solid red lights on. Each one, each, there were five of them, and uh-huh. each one had a solid red light, except uh-huh. for the nose one, and didn't make a sound. Uh-huh. Uh, and they came by very slow, and they stayed in perfect formation. Yeah. And they passed us, and they banked to the southeast, almost to sideways, and stayed in perfect formation. Uh-huh. It was, it was amazing. I think it may have been one object you were looking at. Well, I could see stars. Uh-huh. You know, and I had uh-huh. my binoculars out, and I had very powerful binoculars. Yeah. I couldn't make out any shapes. Uh-huh. But I, I saw a star pass through at the formation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is... That is approximately, I think Prescott Valley is at least 40 miles north of Phoenix. And there are still people to this day, even UFO investigators, who claim that this incident, 40 miles north of Phoenix, was caused by flares that were released at least 62 miles to the southwest of Phoenix. I know. In other words, almost 100 miles between this gentleman's physical location and those alleged flares. They well, may... those, those would be some flares. Yeah. And in addition, let it be said as well that this sighting took place, this gentleman sighted the time of 8.20 p.m., and the flares were not launched until at least an hour and ten minutes later, perhaps more like an hour and a half later. And there are still people who argue passionately, who argue attempt to argue cogently, although that doesn't work, of course, that the whole thing was caused by flares. Mm. And uh, it is terribly alarming to me. You know, if the government can bury this one, if they can get away with this one, Art... They can bury anything. They can do anything. And that's the reason that it's imperative that we keep this this subject before the American people. Well, I remember that the... Uh, the city of Phoenix claimed that they had a few calls about it. And now, I can tell you right now that I had hundreds and hundreds of calls. The phones were going totally crackers. Yeah. And so, then I think there was somebody else who reported just a few calls in Phoenix. Um, just totally unreasonable. And then, We'll play a little more, one more. I think you've got one more, don't you? Yeah, I do. And then, and then, the strangest thing of all occurred after this massive sighting. There was dead silence. I mean, there was nothing in the press. There was nothing. Yeah. And three months went by. 
Three months went by, and then all of a sudden, on the same day, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, all of them broke this story like it had happened two hours ago Yeah. at the same time. One slight exception, and it's noteworthy, and the young gal who wrote the only article that appeared, that I'm aware of, that appeared on the 14th of March, the day after, Laura from the Prescott Daily right. uh, Courier. No, but I'm talking about national national news there was nothing until three months later and then it came all at once now you can only puzzle about why yeah two weeks ago one of the slides i showed during my presentation at the ufo congress and the bulk of my presentation was on the phoenix case is my telephone bill that clearly shows my Hmm. calls to luke air force base that night sure a call or two to pahrump nevada and the next day the 14th of march calls all over the country to Philadelphia, to Los Angeles, and so on, and we couldn't give the data away. I think it's probably that people didn't believe it, or I don't know just what goes through the mind of somebody in the press. I I am developing a theory, Art, that these people in the press are sitting too close to their monitors, <laughs> and the elect- radiation. The radiation is affecting <laughs> radiation. the neocortex a bit, and. Uh, <clears throat> In the case of uh, news anchors, I think it may be hairspray that is migrating through the cranium into now, this, the neocortex. This is really going to help you get future things on the air, Peter. Uh, Just I'm keep sure going. Of that. <laughs> it's finally beginning to break. There's been some very good coverage recently, but it's very sparse given the importance of this phenomenon. Let me play a little cut from uh, Phoenix. This is a um, a woman in Phoenix who's describing... Bear in mind the gentleman who just, uh, whose voice we just heard described the thing going to the southeast. This woman describes it, I think, coming from the northwest, if I recall. I'm going on memory now. But, uh, the two reports link the, uh, Prescott and Phoenix, and it, it gives us an almost an unbroken track of this object. Let's see what we have here. I'm not exactly sure myself, Art, but it's, I think it's about a 30 second cut. Let Let's her see rip. what we have here. Sure. Uh, about ten minutes ago, uh, I saw in the northeastern sky over Phoenix uh, a formation of lights that gave the brilliance and size of stars. Uh-huh. However, it was in a formation of a triangle. With, there were five lights. Uh-huh. At the top point of the triangle, there were three lights, one at the tip and then one on either side. Uh-huh. There were two other lights on the bottom points of what would be a triangle shape. No, I can't. And it was to the northeast of her. She was on the northeast corner of Phoenix looking northeast, and the flares were probably 70 or 80 miles behind her to the southwest. And newspapers, uh, people in the press, people in the Air Force are still arguing, still arguing passionately, Art, that the whole thing was caused by a bunch of flares dumped out by some Air Force A-10s yeah, that's on a to- bombing total, total, total hogwash. Yeah. Um, hundreds and hundreds of calls. It was a major sighting above a major U.S. city, and it went dead for three months, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it was. Yep. So you you guys tell us. All right, look, we're going to wrap this up. But, Peter, I want to do as I've done before, and your organization, haha, not Fortune 500, um, is a very small organization with a computer, a couple phones, a couple of volunteers, and it operates on... Uh, Shoestring budget. 
shoestring, I was going to say, uh, fumes, you know, if, if you're in an airplane, you operate on fumes. So yeah. if people want to donate a couple of bucks, a few bucks to you to keep the phones running up there, um, where do they send it? Yeah, I'll give out the address. And let me just say, Art, that people have been very generous. It's making a big, big difference knowing that we don't have to dip into our own savings to pay the phone bill up here. Yeah. But... Uh, let me give the address now. It's the National UFO Reporting Center, and it's P.O. Box 45623. The next line is University Station. That's the name of a post office, and it's Seattle, Washington, and the zip code is 98145. That address again is P.O. Box 45623, University Station, Seattle, Washington, and the zip code is 98145. And let me say, if people have reports, Art, yes, we are being absolutely deluged with information up here. It's a torrent. And if they have sightings they would like to report, particularly if they're past sightings, we invite them, please go to our website. There's an online report form. They can take five or ten minutes to record a sighting or an unusual event, send it to us. We don't have to take all the information over the telephone. That's a big help. And our website address is one of those very easy-to-remember ones. It's www.ufocenter.com. That's ufocenter.com. All right. And there is a phone number. If something is happening, breaking news right now, then there is a... Report it right now number, right? There is indeed, and our telephone hotline in Seattle is area code 206-722-3000. That number again is area code 206-722-3000. All right, and uh, again, folks, if you can spare a few bucks, would they make a check out to the National UFO Reporting Center? If they would, please. Target donation, five or ten bucks is what we prefer. And it's a big help to us. All right, National UFO Reporting Center, P.O. Box 45623. That's P.O. Box 45623, University Station in Seattle, Washington, zip code 98145. Peter, thank you, as always. Thank you so much. Thank you, Art. It's always a privilege to be here. Eyes to the skies, folks. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. Somewhere in Time with Art Bell continues, courtesy of Premier Networks. Think about it. An opportunity now to take it with you. For the morally and spiritually bankrupt, time to start an afterlife savings account. Card line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. Hello. 
Hey, how you doing? I've been trying for about three years to get a hold of you. You've been trying for three years? Yes, sir. Hey, I'd like just to call and comment on that person that faxed you earlier uh, about the, uh, uh, you're sending all these souls to hell. Yeah, how many souls, he wondered, am I sending to hell? I'm telling you, you know, I, I'm pagan myself, I'm Wiccan, oh. and I, I believe in a lot of things that the Bible has to say. It's a very good book, it's a great book for reference, and I believe in one thing, not judge lest ye be judged. That's the only judging you. Well, there is that, I guess, um, but, you know, they can't help themselves. I mean, people who are evangelistic and really on the edge, you know, just really, really, really on the edge, they can't help themselves. All right. I, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, I understand. Hey, you're doing a great job, Art, and let's hope Richard C. Hoagland gets, uh, gets quite better, and I'm glad to hear he's doing real well. Um, he is. Thank you very much for the call. He bears watching for another 24 hours, I'd say. And then you could start to get pretty excited that he's going to be back with us. I think right now you could begin to get excited, but you know, 48 hours after something like, uh, you know, your chest being all cut open to your heart, um, you, you, about 48 hours, I would say. But he is giving us a big 19.5 glowing finger salute from his, uh, <laughs> you've got you to see it to believe in the picture. Come on, Keith, put up the picture with a halo. Put it up, Keith. It was a natural artifact of enhancement. It was not intentionally done. It came there with enhancement of that photograph. First time caller line, you're on the air. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you have anything to say? Or is... Yes, sir, I do. You do? Where are you? I'm calling from Seattle, Washington. Seattle. All right. Cool. Speak. All right. My question is, um, if you would like to take it with you when you go, yes, um, I'm kind of confused as what your beliefs in reincarnation are in that case. Well, see, here's the thing. When you get over there, there's, in essence, no time. And so there's a good period of time between this life, even if you believe in reincarnation, there's a period of time between the ending of this life and the beginning of the next. Now, How much time? Well, I, I mean, it varies because the time is not linear. It's not measured on that side. So uh, surely you would want to have some few creature comforts with you. What kind of creature would you be, though, physical or spiritual? Well, I mean, who cares? As long as you've got your car and your stereo and your VCR and your TV and... Beer in the fridge, like the guy said. And, and a good dog. A faithful dog. You, you, you wouldn't put that ahead of a good woman. No, of course not. All right. Well, of course not. There you are. So, somewhere down the line, a good dog, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so that's just for the interim, then. I mean, think, think how it would change the world if when people died, their stuff went with them. I mean, just psh, disappeared. Mm -hmm. It would change everything. And as this guy says, probably there'd be IRS afterlife agents. Sure. Sure. Okay, well, thank you. And I just wanted to, to, to have that question answered. Right. Did the best I could. Thank you uh, very much for the call. The International Line, you're on the air. Good morning. 
Good morning, Art. How are you doing? I'm all right, sir. Good. Uh, Another truck crossing the uh, the wilds of the north, I bet, huh? I'm sorry? I said another truck crossing the wilds of the north. Uh, yeah, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head that, that time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm up here in uh, northern Alberta. Uh, long-time listener, Art. Uh, I really enjoy your program. Listen, Art, you, you, you used to be a disc jockey, did you not? Yes. Uh, spinning records? For 20 years. For 20 years? Yep. It. Uh, okay, I, I just got a question as, as far as your bumper music is concerned. Okay. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the radio stations, they uh, they have play copies, do they not? Or, or uh, uh, playlists that are... That are uh, uh, yes, some do. I mean, some uh, do. It depends on the format, but some uh, radio stations indeed have uh, a playlist from which they okay. operate. Uh, okay, well, what I'm getting at is the playlist, uh, there's a playlist compiled uh, daily. Uh, now, uh, radio stations, they, uh, do they, they, they have to send out or, or pay royalties, do they not, every time they spin... Uh, ASCAP and BMI. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, my question then is your bumper music, mm -hmm. uh, is it, does that work the same way? Do you have to pay out uh, uh, royalties or, or, uh, or anything to... Uh, when you use a portion of a song, and I'm not an expert on... Like your Highwaymen, for example. Yeah, I, I understand. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert on this. Right. But you see, you didn't hear the whole song. You heard part of it. I rarely oh, I will play a whole song. And there is well, some, the, the... There's some different... I, I'm just not an expert on this, but I, I think... It, it, the application is different as it applies to bumper music for talk radio in, on, under some circumstances. I, you'd have to be a broadcast lawyer. I don't know the answer. Oh, I see. So there's there's different... Uh, yeah, okay, I understand. Um, Art, I've got your address written down at home. Yes? Uh, if, if I was to send you an audio tape of some, uh, of some uh, music, would you... Would I listen? Of course I would. W would you listen to it? Yes. And if, uh -huh. it's, if it's good, I would add it to my playlist. Yeah, it, uh, I, I listen, like I say, I listen to a lot of your bumper music, and I've got some stuff at home there that I think you'd find very interesting. Well, then send it along, uh, and I'll, I'll listen. Uh, I've collected records for years. I've got vinyl. I've got vinyl art coming out of my... You know uh -huh. Yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyhow, I'll do that, uh, and I'll send it down to you. And uh, well, See, we're, now, we're now, 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 now tell me, sir. When you die, when you go to the big truck stop... Above, wouldn't wouldn't you like to be able to take your vinyl with you? Uh, well, uh, answer honestly. I mean, do you well, want to do you... things? I'd like to take with me. Actually, Art, I don't want to die. I'm I'm having a great time down no, here. No, no, no. I understand, but it it that and taxes do appear presently inevitable. Mm -hmm. It's just that you have to leave it all behind. Uh, well. Like anything else, uh, I'll, I'll probably pass it down and, and hope that they enjoy it just as much as I do. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for the call. What a traditionalist. Why the hell should they have it? They didn't earn it. Right? We did. We should have it. But no, it doesn't work that way, presently. And I'm just, I'm objecting, that's all. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Well, hi, Art. Hi. I'm afraid I may have this uh, bacteriological flu that's going around here. Um, uh, how long have you had it? Well, I've had it about a week. I've known others around here. seems like every third or fourth person has picked this thing up. Yes, I'm very uh, The very only thing aware. I hear that uh, seems to knock it loose is colloidal silver or what they're calling oxygen therapy. 
Uh, one thing I wanted to pass out to people, there's an awful lot of talk here lately about uh, Russians possibly preparing for a first strike. And I just thought I'd share with people that uh, there has been a warning by a group, Prophecy Club, that says that when there's internal fighting here, uh, sort of an internal revolution, like when Ed Danes indicated they may be coming for our guns, that that's the time that they're going to take advantage of and do the first strike. So if people want to check that out, they are on the web by that name. So I think it would be a good idea since things are getting kind of weird. You you do know about the military down in Andrews and oh, yes. pre-positioning in the 10 FEMA regions. And here in the Bloomington, Indiana area, Art, we're getting FEMA public service ads like you just wouldn't believe. National well, Guard of, ads of like what, you just of wouldn't what, believe. Of what sort? Uh, what is FEMA advertising? Like what kind of ads? Well, they're... they're Really good self-promotional ads. They're talking about tornadoes, having a few days' worth of food, basically trying to make themselves look good. Uh, <clears throat> there is a publication called The Spotlight that in 1992 produced a paper called FEMA versus Your Constitutional Rights. Yeah, I know, but they're kind of a right-wing nut type publication. Well, I happen to think that they've been telling the truth a lot more than the left-wing nuts out there, like Communist News Network and the others. Uh, they do show the executive orders in that publication, which are on the uh, government's federal register right in the uh, uh, whitehouse.gov website, and they've been incrementally moving toward FEMA as the secret government quite some time now. But I, so who's, I, I, who's been telling I, us the truth? I honestly believe uh, that both are equal uh, misrepresentations. Both. In other words, I have never given what I read in the spotlight much credence. Now, that doesn't mean that occasionally the spotlight doesn't get something right. Uh, but then your obvious bias uh, was shown when you call it the Communist News Network. It's CNN. And I don't think of CNN as the Communist News Network. I think of CNN, for the most part, as one of the better news outlets in the country. Maybe not as good as I um, considered them to be at the beginning, when they first began broadcasting, but still really excellent. So I don't think CNN is communist, and I don't think that the spotlight is particularly a publication that I would gravitate to. I don't think either one of those things is true. Personally. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi, this is Tim in North Carolina. Hello, Tim. Hi, uh, if we're in, if we are in, reincarnated, mm. would not the aliens also be reincarnated? Um, entirely possible. There are many, Tim, who say that when they've been on the other side, albeit somewhat temporarily, they have seen entities that are obviously not human. So maybe it's a great meeting place, you know? Hmm. Kind of like the Star Wars bar scene. This is really hard for me to believe that uh, <laughs> the aliens could be reincarnated. Why? Well, maybe... Why? You, you think we're human beings at this little outpost uh, way out uh, in the uh, far-flung uh, portion of the galaxy? And we are in the far-flung portion. Take a look sometime. I mean, we're in the outskirts. Think we're the only ones that have souls? Well, perhaps... Maybe one of us could be reincarnated as an alien. That's right. Or an alien could be reincarnated as one of us. Well, let me tell you something. All my life I have seen spacecraft ho hovering over houses in the town I live at. I've seen this many, many times. 
a, a, a spacecraft floating over top of a house. Your house or other people's? Other people's houses, and I've seen it at many different houses. I've seen it my whole life. Well, maybe you are a reincarnated them. Hmm. I don't know. It's, uh, do, you, do you ever have unusual urges of any other sort? No. No? Do you, do you gravitate toward round things, discs, plates? Do you fondle dinner plates? No, I don't do anything like that. All right, well, uh, then maybe maybe not. But the fact that you see so many, I mean, it's got to mean something. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm on the air. Well, it would have... First-time callers, area 702-727-1222. From Como? Now, see, I, I'm going to have to bleep that out. You made me bleep it out. Arg. Arg. You know why? Because you gave me your last name. So let's oh. start Let's start afresh. Your oh. name is... Mark in Seattle. In Seattle. All right, Mark. Hey, Art. You talking about taking it with you? Yep. Holographics. Um, Star Trek, uh, you know, we've learned from Star Trek over the years that uh, you can get shot on the holodeck. Uh, you can... Uh, right, but it's, 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 it's as real as it seems, it's not... Real. In other words, uh, when the program is terminated, it all goes away. Well, uh, think of the think of it of uh, another way of uh, of the the old phrase uh, "render unto Caesar what is Caesar's." Well, in when when we're gone, you know, in our body of light or whatever you know point of view one takes on that, then uh, w then you know you partake of the matter of, of that world. Which now is Caesar. The finer matter. Now Caesar. Now there is a guy who no doubt also longed to take it with him. Yeah, so much, right? So yeah, well here we here we are in the on the course plane, you know, and so our things are made of wood and stone and metal and such. But on these higher planes, our things are necessarily going to be also lighter, light. Well, you know, NASA and Star Trek—they're they've been looking over each other's shoulder for for so many years. I don't know. Maybe you do take it with you. In other words, maybe the spiritual version of your car. Ah. And the spiritual version of your money and your wallet and your radio and your whatever it is that you have, your vinyl records coming out of all orifices, uh, uh, they all go with you. That's why all those the, the pyramid signs on the money. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's pretty good. You know, if you if you believe in the well, the Tibetan Buddhists they have this concept of the bardo, you know, which is sort of like a purgatory but you're standing in line and you're walking right. around and you're and you're sort of in this little town this burg so uh they actually uh certain takes on this bardo idea has it that you you need a little a few extra bucks to 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 bribe the border guard and <laughs> you need to have your some cigarettes on you because yeah. the guys the tough guys on the corner have some valuable information for you and you got to trade them cigarettes and I've never heard anyone say where you where you get these cigarettes and the money that you know when you end up in bargaining. If I get up there, I'm and there's a line. I am going to be <laughs> so so disappointed. Uh, the communists will have one up on us. <laughs> there, Appreciate the call, sir. You take care. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing all right, sir. Hey, super. I can't believe I got through. No. Yeah. Will Appreciate the internet you. cause interference if I'm listening? Yes. Oh, well, okay. Oh, yes, Any, anything, uh, particularly the Internet. Hell, that's running a minute behind, probably. Okay, sorry about that. It's all right. How are you doing this evening? Mm. Pretty well, thank you. Pretty well, huh? Yes. Okay, well, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Fire away. Okay, super. Hey, um, you mentioned that there was a gentleman that worked on the original programming that's causing this problem. 
Why two? Um, you mean Y two K? Yeah, with Y two K. There are several gentlemen who did the very early computer programming that did. One of them, one of them has a um, well, a pretty high up government position right now. Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan. Okay, I just wanted to get that name down real quick. And what is he doing? He's chairman of the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve. People okay. that have the afterlife savings accounts. Ah, okay, yes. <laughs> I've been listening to your afterlife thing there, and I, I guess uh, the solution would be you'd have to get it all uh, in an energy form first, because if you leave an energy, you know, right? if you leave your body in an energy state, I guess uh, you'd have to have everything else in an energy state as well, and I guess they got money that way already. It's just, you know, it may be just a matter of the right science. Maybe, maybe. Who am I to, you know? It really would change the nature of the entire world if you could take things with you. Oh, yes, absolutely, most most definitely. Um, I'm just calling you. Um, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and yes. uh, when I heard about the sighting up there in Sandusky, it made me run to my window for a little while. And... Did you see anything? Pardon? Did you see anything? No, I didn't see anything. Well, it had occurred earlier, so... Right, right. I've been listening most of the evenings. But I know it hits you. When you hear something uh, very near you, it really hits you, and that's what I do, too. You run to the door, run to the window. Right. Well, I, I, um, when I was younger, I had a kind of an odd experience. I grew up in uh, just north of Seattle in a small little town called Conway, and, and I didn't see anything shoot through the sky, and I didn't see any elk being lifted or anything like that, but I saw Wasn't that light. something? Can you imagine an elk twisting slowly... I, I couldn't. I really couldn't. Uh, I mean, finally integrating with the UFO itself, then the wobbling, and you know, it sounds wild, but fourteen witnesses. Oh, oh, I, I wouldn't even begin to dispute it. I mean, when I was really, really young, and and um, I had a job. I used to ride my bicycle in the morning out to a farm and milk a couple of cows by hand, and then ride home. Right. After I got off the bus, you know, I'd get on my bike and ride home after I milked and stuff, and. And in the, there was a couple of lights that I saw that were in the middle of the tree line that you couldn't see but from about a three-foot strip of the road. I'm riding along, and all of a sudden I saw these lights, and I'm going, what? there's nothing back there. I, mean, I grew up in the foothills of the Cascades, and I knew the area like the back of my hand, and I, was, I just had to stop and go back, and it took me about five minutes to find the exact location where you could stand and see it. And it freaked me out so bad that I left my bicycle in the middle of the road and ran about can half you, mile. Can you afford to uh, hold on through the break? No, no problem. All right. Stay right there. We'll be right back. This is Coast to Coast AM. And I'm Art Bell. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. Listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 11, 1999. Here's just over the hill. You can go out on any given night. You can see the lights lighting up that whole portion of the sky over there. Over the hill from us. That's what's there. All right. 
back now. Let's see, where were we? We were leaving a bicycle because we were scared to death, weren't we? <laughs> right? Yes, we did. Okay. Um, um, basically, what happened is I, I left the bike there to mark the spot because I noticed that if you walked a couple of feet forward or a couple of feet backwards, you couldn't see the light anymore. And it, it was actually like a a split down the middle of of a red light and a blue light. <laughs> it was it was large. You couldn't. It, it probably would have been. It's hard to you know guesstimate when you're about 14 years old. <laughs> well, how you, large I think is, you but, left the bike there because otherwise the spot would have been marked by your incontinent self. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I ran up. Um, I knocked on um, a neighboring farmhouse door. And um, and got the people that lived there to go down to where my bike was and yes. look, and they saw it as well. But but um, the thing that was is it was a heavily forested area with an opening in the middle from an, um, remnants of an early sawmill. So it was just some place that there was no access roads or anything like that. So lights didn't belong there. But well, as like, I, the only thing I can say to you is what I say to all people. Thank you who are have seen these things. Join the crowd. And to reflect on how many there are is to understand what Peter said earlier, that this is the biggest lie ever told. The biggest lie ever told. It is, you know. of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, this is David in San Diego. Hi, David. John Kogo. Yes, sir. And you were talking about um, a number of different things that I have a comment on. Um, you're right. talking about taking it with you? Yeah, I don't know how I got off on that, but I, <laughs> I guess serious? I'm tired of people saying you can't, so... Well, I'm the shaman in San Diego that has written you a couple of faxes. Or I, I, take, I take it you are not exactly pleased with the concept well you know it does kind of rub most uh of everybody my nature that. a little bit backwards but you do take it with you is the fact what do you mean this world that we live in is an illusion it doesn't really exist yeah, i've heard in this permanent before. sense all right it's it's like we're 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 a dream of a monster on some other planet right no we're our own dream we're the, we're, the, we're the speck on the toe of somebody that's about to clip his finger, his toenails. Oh. That kind of thing. We're really much more integrated than that. And we go through a series of life changes, uh, living and dying, passing from one world to the next. And we do have things in the world where we're going, which we have left there from before. And we can create things from what we know from this world. Hmm. When we go from this world into the next world, hmm. we don't go naked. We go closed. We have things in our what pockets. What kind of clothes? I mean, whatever brown we, surf clothes or whatever seems fur, logical. Fur to clothes it. for women and uh, suits for men. If that's what pirate t-shirts, whatever you want. Yeah, basically, mm -hmm. whatever you want. Well, I mean, to listen to most people, you would imagine you arrive there naked as a jailbird. No, you don't. No? Um, I've had... Why would you need clothing in heaven? 
or the other, the other, uh, the, the afterlife? Why would you need clothing? It depends clothing? on your nature. It really does depend on your nature. In other words, if you're a modest person, you'd be clothed. Yes. But if you were a nudist at heart... Then you'd probably arrive naked. And everybody else would be naked. Uh, not exactly, because other people's realities here... Yes, but why? if it was your expectation that they would be naked, then why wouldn't they be? Because Since you, in effect, create your own reality. But you don't do that once you get into heaven. You do that here, but not... So you're saying then there's like rules. Uh, there is a common awareness of the spiritual reality. That's like a rule. Uh, so, sort of. it, it is a rule, yeah. But it, it's more basic than that. It's what everyone calls truth. Well, that's such an alien concept here on Earth that I don't know. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for the call, sir. You're welcome. If 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 the truth was the order of the day, it would be our last day. You can be sure of that. Our last day. Civilization would crumble. First time caller line, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Art. Good morning. Hi, uh, this is Greg from Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Hi, Greg. Yeah, hi. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just wanted to tell you, uh, February 7th, I woke up about 1 o'clock, and I was listening to your show. Yes. It was an encore performance. Yes. And it was, um, you know, the Antichrist line. Ah, yes, the Antichrist <laughs> line. So I hung up. I mean, I, I turned the show off because you, know, you I didn't couldn't want to take listen it? to that. Excuse you me? couldn't take it? Couldn't take it. No. You, well, that makes me want to do it again. <laughs> I figured you'd say that. Well, anyway, I, I think it was good that I shut the, the radio off. Otherwise, you think you might be a hellbound now, huh? <laughs> That's true. Um, because all of a sudden, I was aware of hearing a, a low rumbling sound. Yeah. It was constant. I says, well... A rumbling sound? Yeah, a very low rumbling sound. And I said... Oh, now, what was that in the background that I just heard? When now? Yeah. That was no. like your wife or your... Oh, that's my wife, yeah. It's your wife? What was she saying? <laughs> she says, what did you say? It was a loud rumbling sound. A loud, low rumbling, rumbling sound. sound. Okay. Now, all your reports with these V-shaped objects... You, yeah, all? Yes. Okay. Most of them are silent, completely That's silent. Right. They have no rumbling sound. Exactly. Now, I'm talking about not one, but three of them went right down in line with the street. They're going from west to east. Can you hear that? What's that? Listen very carefully. Do you hear that? No. You don't hear that. Right. Why, you have a rumbling sound? Oh, I, I was trying. <laughs> Maybe it's your stomach, right? <laughs> <laughs> if that's my stomach, then I am ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. But listen to this. There yeah, I'm was, listening. Uh, there was a couple of things that, you know, was kind of uh, striking. You know, I took my binoculars. You know, I'm looking at this thing, and it was from the back of it. I could see sort of like amber lights that were fuzzy in the center. Right. Okay. And there were circle lights, you know, like white lights as a V. And it was uh, incomplete. Okay, so this thing went by, and I'm saying, what the hell is that? And I'm looking at it, mm -hmm. and it disappeared. You know, it just went further, you know, east. And then, uh, well, just saying, wow, that was pretty cool. So then all of a sudden, I hear this sound again. It never stopped. It never stopped. Mm -hmm. Okay, I looked out of the east bedroom, flying very slowly overhead. It was a V-shaped object 
uh, and it was um, it was more like a triangle, right? right. And then at 2:45 a.m., a.m., even though the large object object was gone, a low rumble sound continued faintly. Then I grabbed my binoculars. I had trouble following the object. It was faint lights, not bright. In the point was a set of three faded points of light, fuzzy, not clear, and they were kind of amber color. Another object rose near it. Now, this was really weird. I, I looked at it, and I says, gee, this must be a, um, a plane. I says, good, somebody's going to, you know, see this, this just giant thing, you know? Yes. And all of a sudden, now, it was going the same speed as this V thing, and it was going toward it, and all of a sudden, it joined with it. Mm. I'm like, okay. But just as it done that, okay, on the right side of the V, one of those lights dimmed. It almost turned amber. It dimmed, and this thing was approaching it, and a sharp blue light underneath this V shape came on. It was the sharpest thing, you know, the sharpest light on this whole thing. And you know, it almost sounds like you're describing something organic. You know, when things join and ap come apart from each other, it almost sounds organic. Mm. If it weren't for the lights and, the, you know, the hardware sound to it, you could almost imagine an organic, an organism, actually, of some Right. Kind. Yeah, I, I, I've heard you talk many times like that, you know, something morphing and... Yeah, just based yeah. on your description, and uh, or even earlier tonight, the report, uh, did you hear the story about the elk? Yes. Okay, well... That's that, what made me stay up. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it actually affected the object. The object appeared to the witnesses to grow as it, in effect, digested the elk and then wobbled due to the elk's weight. Right. And then up she went. Did you happen to see that movie called uh, Foes? Foes? Yes. No? Oh, it's a great movie. They what? showed it maybe about two or three times in the 80s, and I've never seen it again. It may be a, a foreign movie. It's excellent. I mean, they had this uh, chrome-colored UFO. This this movie was so realistic. It had actually people on this island with a, um, a, with a lighthouse. They were guarding this lighthouse and stuff, and um, all of a sudden this thing would just draw these people up into it, and they were actually turning around and going up into it. Just ooh, like you just like, ooh, just like the elk. Right. Yeah, Twisting as it went up. All right, listen, I've got a scoot. Very interesting, though. Okay, thanks, right, Doc. Thank you, and take care. Twisting slowly in some sort of beam, energy beam, like Star Trek's tractor beam. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, yes, hello, Art. Hello. Yes, I may have something interesting for you. All right. Uh, your last night's guest yes. was correct in mentioning the name Ian Stevenson. Yes. Who is a professor at uh, 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 University of Virginia. Okay. And he's done the most extensive uh, research on child memory, uh, reincarnation, past lives. Well, then I should talk to him, shouldn't I? Uh, he's probably about 80 now. I, I don't oh, know if he? he's still alive. Well, there's got to be somebody doing uh, collective research in this area right now as it applies to really small children. Two, three, you know, the ones that just have learned to speak, to say these things. Right. He claims that up to age five, 75% of children remember their past lives. Oh, boy. 
and he's done about 2,500 uh, cases. They interviewed him in Omni magazine around uh, 87, 88. Well, if we could prove reincarnation for sure, then my idea of taking it with you would have some merit because you literally could uh, leave an account behind and when you determined who you were in the next life and figured out who you were in the last life due to hypnosis or whatever, you could go and, and collect and God knows it could be all kinds of money with interest by the time you're back. Right. He claims through hypnosis that uh, it wasn't reliable because uh, there's a lot of imaginary... Uh, I know. Those are the things. charges that are always made that uh, somebody's uh, imagination, their fantasy, causes them to say these things. But I think it's rather unlikely in a two- or three-year-old, don't you? To say something, uh, obviously, as an adult, with adult knowledge about a prior life, I mean, we're talking about a being here that really hasn't been uh, particularly given a lot of input that it understands at all. It's just now learned to talk. How would it come up with these things? West to the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is the Italian Stallion. How you doing? I'm doing. It's uh, been quite a while since I've heard from you. Yeah, how's Richard? Is he good? Richard Holt. Well, I don't know. How do you think you'd be a dare so after they cut your chest open? Well, not too good, but screwed I... Screwed with your heart. Probably yeah. not too good. He's probably not having a good day. Well, I'm praying for him and everything. I love okay. my... I can hear him over and over, that that person, and he's never boring to hear, uh, listen to, so... No, Richard, it's, it's never boring. Anyway, about this cold, I had a cold, like we were talking about, with the phlegm all in the chest. Cold slash flu, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was really it was really a strange flu earlier this year. And uh, the thing I found that the best thing I found that helps me a lot is that uh, I don't know if you heard of Royal Jelly. Yeah, I've heard of that. Okay, and I tell you, I mean, for me, it's done wonders. I mean, and I think it, I, but I think it varies, uh, Mr. Stallion, from person to person. In other words, what helps you doesn't seem to help somebody else. Everybody has a testimonial about this or that herb or whatever. I think it's or it may be very individual, and that's why you hear so many people with so many remedies. International Line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Turn Hello. your radio off. Uh, it's off. Good. You're on. Okay. Um, my name is Bruce. I'm calling from Muskoka, Ontario. Where? Muskoka. It's just north of Toronto. Muskoka. North of Toronto. Okay. Okay. And um, I, we wrote, my wife and I wrote a letter to Richard Hoagland. Yes. Oh, did you? Oh, yes. Good uh, for well, you. Get well card. Yep. And uh, we put in a joke, and the joke was, why aren't there any lawyers on Mars? Uh, why aren't there any lawyers on Mars? I don't know why. What, what did Mars ever do to deserve a lawyer? <laughs> Moderately humorous. Yeah, we thought it might cheer him up. Mm -hmm. I got a better one. Okay. What happens when you give a lawyer Viagra? They get taller. Yeah. That's yeah, that's, that's a better one. Yeah. Well, true, but you know, I know, I know. It you wanted to come good. up with something Hoaglandy. Yeah. Well, I was trying, but you know, sometimes you don't make it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure Richard will enjoy the thought anyway. And he'd probably say, well, there are lawyers on Mars. Our spacecraft have taken photographs of them. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. 
Hello? Hello. Is this our bell? What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, I'd just like to, uh, you know, say something to you. I've seen something a long time ago. A long time ago? You had a sighting? Four, four years ago. Where are you, sir? In uh, Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver. Yeah. Four years ago? Yeah. What did you see? Well, I was uh, on a bike path, and I was turning around. Yeah. It was at the turn around point. Yeah. And then I sort of, as I turned around on the bike. Yes. As I, I sort of, you know, like it was, I was just beginning, you know, it was like the end of a tire. It was a tire on the um, right. And then it was just, uh. There's something just, weird about your phone. You're echoing really weirdly. I'm on a cell phone. Are you? Yeah. Every now and then, a word trails off into echo, like you're in some other dimension or something. No, but anyway, so I... Gotta hurry, of, because the show's almost over, so what... All of a sudden, all of a sudden, these lights appeared. Yes. And like it was in, like, they appeared within like three seconds or something. Yes. At the, as I turned around on the bike path. Yes. So I, I sort of slowed the bike down. And went a, a, just a little bit further, and then I stopped the bike. But these, it was just like four balls of light. Why do you have a British accent? Um, well, I live over here. I grew up in England. And moved to Canada? Yeah. Western Canada? Yeah. Wasn't that kind of a culture shock for you? Not really, no. I don't know what kind of Brit you are, because I've been there, and I've seen Western Canada. That'd be a culture shock. No, well, it's... I like it, yeah. So did you want me to finish? Well, if you can do it in about 30 seconds. So these four lights, like, were up in the sky about 100 feet in the air. Right, got I that. They were, like, but they were all different. And they, like, one of the lights came right over to me. And yes. I put my right hand up to my face, and it was almost in my face, but it wasn't. A light in and your it, face. Yeah, it was just a ball. But yes. It was the same in the air. They were all, there was nothing in between them, nothing underneath them, and nothing on top of them. These well, look, I, this is really, truly gripping, but we're not going to get to the end of it. I knew you couldn't do it in 30 seconds. And I bet given another whole minute, we wouldn't have made it either. Blimey. Well, that's it. We're out of time. Thank you all. Tomorrow night, Ed Dames will be here. Don't forget, later today at 1 o'clock Pacific, we're going to be taping Dreamland for play on Sunday, broadcast on Sunday. That's at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. This afternoon, it's going to be a really good one about the government and UFOs. Good night. Good night.